podcast is brought to you by uh, 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 Here we go Everybody be cool, this is a robbery Need you cool Are you cool? Bark all day, little doggy, or are you gonna bite? Oh, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? I'm a killer. I'm a murdering bastard, you know that? And there are consequences to breaking the heart of a murdering bastard. You really only need to hang mean bastards. But mean bastards, you need to hang. You hear me talking, hillbilly boy? I'ma get medieval on your ass. You're the shot to this? Nah, I don't think so. More like chewed out. I've been chewed out before. Hey, is everybody okay? The fucking hippies aren't. That, that's for goddamn sure. Kill white folks and they pay you for it. It's not the light. Starting to see pictures, ain't you? Gentlemen, you have my curiosity. Now you have my attention. Welcome back, all you inglorious bastards, to your monthly worship service where we help rejuvenate your soul through the good works of our Lord and Savior, Quentin Tarantino. I am the Reverend Scott Kay, and this is the Church of Tarantino podcast. It's May, and that means we've reached the third and final film written, but not directed by Quentin Tarantino, on this chronological journey through his filmography. I'm talking about the kick-ass action horror movie directed by his best friend, Robert Rodriguez, and co-starring QT himself, From Dust Till Dawn. But before we list off the various varieties of lovely lady parts for sale outside the titty twister, it is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast an expat from France who now calls Louisiana his home and who also hosts the French-language podcast B News USA, Mr. Pat Fournier. Welcome, Mr. Fournier, and may Tarantino be with you always. And also with you. Reverend. Thank you. And I think I, I think I got the names right, right? I yes, sir. Always feel embarrassed being an American and not being able to at least get people from different parts of the world's <laughs> stuff right. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's an American thing that we're, that I'm working on. It's a very you, you, you did fine. You sh- <laughs> I appreciate you it. You should hear French people pronounce uh, English names, American names. <laughs> yes, I, but you know, I know, and I know that uh, I know that sometimes the French get a little bit of uh, some pushback for being um, for being European Karens. Is that a good way of saying it? <laughs> yes. You know, hey, when you bring a guest on, you want to get their name right. Thank you so much. Just ask a French person to pronounce Matthew McConaughey's name, and you will laugh. <laughs> well, you did a great job of doing it. So <laughs> I'm an English major. I try. I try my best. How would it sound? Oh, okay. Well, so I, I hear when I, I listen to a French speaking podcast a lot, uh, and some of them are cinema podcasts and they usually say Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? It's funny. But I listen to even, you know, some of my English uh, guests have come on and Dune, the duh is like a ch. It's like chun. Oh, it's like chun. Like like it it doesn't, there's no (laughs) duh. And I'm always like, what are you saying? Chun. I no, I haven't Chune. gone to see that movie. What's Chun? Is that is that something new? <laughs> so it's always fun, you know. It's always fun that we all have our own little idiosyncrasies that uh, we don't realize, but you know, it's what makes the the world fun. So yep. you do have a French language podcast, and the only reason I know that is because you were on uh, my last guest of what well, we're recording before the show 
even comes out from episode four. But you are on Mr. Craig Cohen's uh, podcast about Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. called The Conversations Jack Rabbit Slim. And I listened to that. I think you're episode six, if I'm not mistaken. And I listened to that. Something like I that. heard you talk about it. And so why don't you tell the listeners what B News USA is all about? Well, if you missed uh, Craig's podcast, uh, I, I, I'm trying to do a little uh, short version. Our podcast is called so B News USA. It's, uh, it's a French language podcast. It's a beer podcast. And every week, my co-host and I try a different beer from all over the world. We kind of started with our, our first concept was French people, Belgian people, people from Europe that come to the United States to go on vacation or visit or whatever. And they walk into a supermarket or a gas station and they look at the beer section and they have no idea what those beers are, uh, which ones are good, which ones to avoid, depending on your taste, blah, blah, blah. So that was our first concept. And and to kind of tie in with that concept, we uh, we give the travel tip of the week. Like if if you're a French person or Belgian or Swiss or whatever, and, and you come to America, North America on vacation, things that you can expect that are, that are different from uh, where we come from. So like I had I'd said on Craig's podcast, like little things like uh, finding um, ice at a gas station, for example, to put in your ice chest. That's that's not something we have in Europe. So just little tips like that, certain things to do, certain things not to do, and like cultural differences and kind of like what, what they talk about in Pulp Fiction, but in reverse, you know? Yeah, so you're almost almost like a green book, almost, where green book mm-hmm. was put together to allow black Americans to know where they should and shouldn't go, which is sad to say, but inside the country. And so you're kind of doing the same for your, your fellow patriots, in a way. You're you know, you don't have to worry about the racism and the horrible things that <laughs> that was for. But now it's funny you said that, not the the Green Book part, but there is a brewing company out of New Jersey. And I happen to find this on one of the Quentin Tarantino pages I follow. Mm-hmm. They're called Red Tank. And I'm going to show you. My viewers won't see, but I will put it up uh, in my socials when this comes out. It is called Quentin Quarantino Pale Ale. And <laughs> it has, it's Mia Wallace and uh, Mr. Vincent Vega Dan. Dancing oh, well. on the oh. front of it. Now, um, it's not everywhere, so I'm lucky enough to be close enough to New Jersey, so I'm actually going to order some. I'm not a huge beer drinker myself, but I have to just have the cans. Like, I don't even, <laughs> those cans, right. I have to have. Give that a check. If cool. you get a chance, reach out to them and tell them who you are. Maybe they'll maybe they'll send you a case, and maybe you can try oh, it. Yeah. And, and <laughs> hopefully it tastes good, because it doesn't taste like shit, but I'm, I'm hoping it tastes good. It sells out quite a bit on their website. Good. One of our local breweries did a a Roadhouse uh, IPA. With the you know the uh, iconography from the double deuce on the on the can and stuff, yeah, it, it was really cool. Yeah, very cool. You were saying that on your podcast, you kind of tell people from French speaking parts of Europe what it's like here in America. What was it that brought you to America? I know that we've talked off uh, air, so to speak, and you've been living here now about twenty years. So, what is it that brought you to the grand old USA? And my English one, a lot of my English people I talk with, I always you know break into like some kind of coming to America song just to pretend uh-huh. like we're you know, some big bombastic. But I won't do that for you because uh, you you chose to live here. They're still living over across the sea and are still mad that we broke free from them. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, well, actually, ever since I was a kid, uh, as far as I can remember, I think the first thing that got me was uh, the music and the, and the movies, obviously. As far as I can remember, when I was a kid, I was a Western uh, Western movie fan. Then I got into uh, 
Sylvester Stallone and and Arnold Schwarzenegger a little bit, but but really Rocky. There was a there was a big big uh, big thing for me. And later on the NBA, you know, I was I was like an NBA fan for a while when I was a teenager, and just just everything, like everything I could get my hands on the movies, the the music, books. When when I started getting a little older, I started reading uh, Bukowski and Kerouac, Hunter S. Thompson, and it just the whole culture just attracted me uh, and what I, I didn't want to be living in France and just being able to just come to America for a couple of weeks vacation every couple of years I just wanted to live here I, I love Texas I'm, I'm that's my, my neighbor state and something as simple as like the, the opening scene when they when he, the sheriff walks into the the gas station, the the, the beer uh, that just sells beer and stuff like that. Just to be able to just be in the mood, like in in that reality, instead of just watching it on 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 the big screen. And so I I just made the jump. I I got a um, offer for for a job to come uh, teach French over here in South Louisiana, and I just jumped at the chance. And 20 years later, I'm still here, and I'm I'm loving it. I'm, I love Louisiana. It's just a great area. Did coming to America live up to what you thought America was going to be? You know, because I know we had a conversation about how we, you know, it's sold. We sell America as very shiny, you know, like mm-hmm. if, like you said, with the movies and the TV and a lot of this, our, our music and stuff, it definitely, an MTV back, because we're of an age when MTV was still a thing. Right. And it definitely sells an image of America. But if you got a chance to listen to our Bible study about uh, I Love Mallory from Natural and Killers, that was more of a, you know, the underbelly, the another side of America that, we you know, obviously every country has its underbelly that, you know, it doesn't sell on. It's brochures to bring no. people to across. <laughs> you know, it's not like it's not like come check on our homeless alleys. You know what I mean? But in the same respect, did what was being sold across the sea live up to the expectation you had when you finally came over and and landed here? Yes, that because I, I love it all. The movies I really like are not the mostly it's not the romantic comedies like i have seen american history x and you know all, all that stuff and i was i was aware of all of that and and the shortcomings and you know and look france has its shortcomings believe me <laughs> you know every yeah, country yeah. does so I'm, I'm just embracing it all you know would i like to change things here absolutely uh, would i like to change things in france absolutely you know but I, I just take the good with the bad and I, I just love it here and I'm, I'm married to an American citizen and et cetera, et cetera. I get, I get my green card and I've got, got a bunch of American friends and this is my life is here now. Well, I'm glad to have my first French guest who's also in America. It's a very, it's a very Tarantino like guest. Yes. You know, it's very much is. It's like, I, I, you, I'm like you said, yes, you, you're my Fabian. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> but, but, but I promise you, you will not be the most annoying guest. I don't know who that is yet, but you will definitely, we will hope that you don't. <laughs> I hope not. I'm I might have a little pot belly. Uh, I'm getting older, so. <laughs> how was Tarantino and how is Tarantino perceived in France? Because I always think back to the Inglorious Bastards line that Shoshana says when Zoller asks her about, oh, I, you know, I didn't think you would play, you know, that you would like German uh, movies and that. And when she says, we're French, we respect directors. I kind of felt like that was him even almost giving a nod, like a, a thank you to France. But I could be wrong of uh, being, you know, having that line in there about how French people, uh, the French movie industry in public, you know, regardless of where you're from, they respect who you are and they respect your film. Absolutely. And it's the same for music. When a, a lot of um, African-American jazz musicians w- were dealing with racism in America, some of them moved to France 
because they were respected just like anybody else that didn't have that racial uh, barrier and that kind of, you know, issue. And they were respected for their art. And and I, th- I think it's the same thing, you know, like in France, Quentin Tarantino is a huge deal. He's, he's obviously a huge deal. That's absolutely right. Like France has a lot of respect for art, artists, wherever they come from. And yeah, sometimes to a fault because, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get to controversial issues, but uh, Roman Polanski is still uh, revered over there. And it's, <laughs> oh, it's, I know, yeah, I know. You know it's separating <laughs> the, artist from the, the artist from their life. Yeah. Yeah. So on our Pulp Fiction episode, myself and my great guest, Mr. Ian Harries, we were talking about the Royale with cheese. And I asked him, is that still a thing? And him being from London said, well, no, in McDonald's there, they call it the Quarter Pounder, not because people know what Quarter Pounders are, but because they stay on name brand. And he believed that it was still Royale with cheese over in France. Well, we had our conversation. You told me that it still is, which makes my heart very, very happy. But would you actually, for our listeners, because obviously when we talked about it, when they talk about it in the movie, they say Americanized. So if you could grace us with how a Royale with cheese is actually said in France, in French, would make my ears and heart very, very happy. As I said to you, we need to change it. McDonald's, get on it. It's just why are we fucking around with the quarter pounder? Well, it's so know. cool. With Royale cheeses, it sounds cool. Like it almost feels like McDonald's would have figured, like the Big Mac, you would have, they would have figured it out. Like Royale cheese, we, they should have changed it that time. In 94, it should have been changed. But you know what? what why I think they haven't? Because of uh, Burger King. Royal King. You know what? Very good point. But you know what? He didn't go into Burger King, so we didn't know. John Travolta slash. Vince Vega slash Gwen Tarantino writing it fucked us with the beautiful thing of royal cheese Uh, and we didn't think about it we did not think about the fact that there's Burger King over there because he said I don't know anyone Burger King (laughs) (laughs) and we talked about that on on our uh, phone conversation the other night but I brought my stepson who was 17 at the time to France for the first time and well first of all we flew Air France and on Air France you can order booze Uh, it's free you know like you don't have to get your wallet out and, and buy it. It's free booze the whole way. And my 17-year-old, the the stewardess asked him, what do you want to drink? And he he was brave. He said, can I get a screwdriver? And she says, absolutely. And she brought it to him. And it, <laughs> he was like, he was so giddy. And then we brought him to McDonald's and he had his uh, Big Mac with a beer, uh, with a draft beer. And he was, he couldn't believe it. <laughs> It's odd that here in America, we are still so, I mean, we're founded by Puritans. So we still hold on to some very Puritan values here in America. We still, you know, sex is so taboo. Mm-hmm. I think we have some of the highest, you know, teen pregnancies in the entire world. Well, yeah. We won't have to get into the guns things. We all know about the guns. But like even booze, like we sell booze like crazy, but yet we're still very rigid about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're very pro-alcohol, but yet like if you don't get to a certain age, then, you know, like we have a very like, and, and once you hit places, 18, you can drink it through your eyeballs if you want but you have to be at least eight or 21 you know it's it's a very strange mentality we have in here in america because we have a very big alcohol obviously lobbying industry that's why you mm. know you know for years the super bowl had bud light everything budweiser this and that yeah and and places that you can have alcohol or not yes for example new orleans is the only place in america that i, that I can think of that you can walk down the street with a beer in your hand well that's part of the tourism in new orleans i mean you, <laughs> the, 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 tour, tourism would stop in new orleans if exactly. you couldn't do that be like we're done we're out of here. Well, I, I remember my, my parents came visit um, and we went to a restaurant and at the, at the end of the meal, I had uh, half of my beer left. So I just grabbed the bottle and we started walking down the French Quarter. My dad says, you can do that. And I'm like, over here. Yep. And you can stop a cop and ask him for directions with, with your beer in your hand and he's going to tell, give you directions and send you on your way. 
<laughs> That's a little slice of the opening of Pulp Fiction, but New Orleans now. It's Pulp Fiction, New Orleans. Yeah, and that's even better than that. There's daiquiri shops over here. Do you know about daiquiri shops? No. In, in Louisiana? Okay. Those are drive-through bars. Oh, my God. So so drive-through just like a McDonald's or at the bank, and you get to the window, and you can buy a daiquiri, whatever alcohol, alcoholic beverage you want. And what they do is they give it to you in a styrofoam cup with the lid, and you know the little X on top of the lid the, to, yeah. to, put the, to put the straw? What they do is they put a piece of uh, scotch tape on, on the X, and that way it counts as a... Um, a closed container. A closed container. <laughs> drive through bars in Louisiana. Uh, America, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the reason I have you on is because we're here to talk about Tarantino. So... As you've listened, and I thank you very, very much for not only being a guest, but also being a follower and member, we always start off, and obviously this answer should always be yes, otherwise I've done a poor job of bringing on the right guest. Although I'm thinking maybe in some later seasons, maybe I'll bring people on who aren't and see if I can't turn them into fans. But are you a huge Quentin Tarantino fan? Absolutely. I 100%. Yes. So what was your gateway drug into this beautiful universe of Tarantino? Well, uh, I remember being, oh, how old I? Was I probably 18 when Pulp Fiction came out? I had no idea who Quentin Tarantino was. And I, I believe I told that story on Craig's podcast, but I'll, I'll tell it here. My parents had a, a an apartment in a ski resort in the south of France in the Pyrenees, which is uh, right next to the border between France and Spain. And we would go there every every summer, every winter, every, every chance we got. And they had a little uh, movie theater there, one screen, I believe, and they would show one movie a day. And I remember my friends and I decided to to go to the movies that night and we just showed up and we were like, okay, what's what's showing? And I see this poster and I read the names. Oh, Bruce Willis in there. Oh, Travolta? Okay. What's it called? Who's the... And I, I had no idea what it was. I went like completely blank. And we sat down and from from the opening scene, uh, I realized I was watching a different kind of movie and it, it just spoke to me in, in, in ways that most other movies did, didn't. Uh, most other blockbusters, you know, you, you, you can see the tropes and, and the story, you know, art from a mile away. It's, it's, it's very, you know, kind of... Sometimes even in the trailer, you're like, oh, I've already seen, I already know where this movie's yeah. headed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially romantic comedies, you know, the guy meets the girl and they they can't stand each other and you go, okay, well, at the end, they get married. Okay, we, we get it. So, but Tarantino was totally different. Uh, the, like I was saying uh, on, the, on that other show, the two scenes that really uh, brought that home for me is the basement scene. Bring out the gimp. <laughs> yeah, right. Which is kind of like the where are you at right now? I, I see your basement. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm telling you soon. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the fucking gimp. I gotta get something. Maybe in a cardboard cutout. So it's just off. And then I'll just send pictures so people can understand what everyone that, who's yeah, guest just, sees. Just him hanging by. Uh, by the, yeah. <laughs> so so anyway, I, I I saw that movie and I realized right away that it, it, it just spoke to me. Like the, this director screenwriter just spoke to me. And he, when you watch a movie of, of his, you know you're in good hands because he's going to tell you a story. He's going to bring you through, you know, little t- twists and turns. And but at the end, you, it's a ride. It's 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 like a Clarence's roller coaster ride in true romance. It's 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 amazing. So after that, I, I was completely in. And then I 
started getting into Robert Rodriguez's uh, connection. I went see a Desperado in the theater, and I was I was sold. So they they're such kindred spirits. They're, they're best friends. So their styles are so uh, you know they just complement each other. I was I realized today while kind of you know writing some notes and and watching the movie again that the characters in Reservoir Dogs from Dust Till Dawn and El Mariachi and also Desperado all are dressed the same, basically. They have black jeans, white shirt, and a black sports coat. And yep. it's like, it's almost like the, the same, they all inhabit the same universe almost. Well, they pretty much, they, they kind of cross over a little bit here and there. Well, we're going to talk about a gentleman who definitely crosses over for sure. Now, what is your favorite Tarantino movie? Do we consider True Romance to be a Tarantino movie? That's a great question. I'm of the opinion that there is no wrong answer in the Tarantino verse. Uh-huh. Uh, because if for me, if you've heard, and people probably tired of me saying it, True Romance was my way in. And it's probably, you know, a lot of times when I think of Tarantino, I do think of the ones he's directed. And, you know, he did write True Romance. But True Romance feels like such a kindred spirit to everything he did, the way Tony Scott put it together, yep. that it's usually like Pulp Fiction and True Romance. They're like 1A, 1B, you know, if I say, what's my favorite Tarantino? Mm-hmm. But this is your answer. So it can be True Romance or it could be whatever one he directed. Okay, so I'm going to give you two answers. If we're considering True Romance to be a Tarantino movie, then it's True Romance. 100%, no doubt. If we don't, then if you would have asked me that question three years ago, I would have told you Pulp Fiction. <laughs> like, I would not have blinked. And I think now it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think we talked about it uh, the other day on, on the phone. I love that movie so much. I just want to live in it. It's I, I could watch a 24-hour <laughs> cut of, of, of that movie. It's it, I love it. I bought the book. I read the book. And it's just I want more. Like I know. I just love it. So I'm just going to put this into the universe since people don't know what's going to come because that will come in December. Mm-hmm. But by December, between myself and you who do the Bible study and actually Craig is going to do the main episode. It'll be his turn to be on the episode instead of just a bio study. We are going to find out what the inside joke of don't cry in front of the Mexicans is. We're going to find it out. We had a long discussion about this. Most people are like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? It's nothing racist. Watch the movie. But when Cliff tells him not to yep. cry in front of the Mexicans, there's a reason for that. There's this inside joke in Hollywood, something, and we're going to get to the bottom of it in the next seven months. We're going to find out yes, that's why our he said that. Because I want to be in on the end joke. Like we've said on this podcast, nothing is said out of for just happenstance. No. There's a reason. We're going to find that out. And it's funny, but it's we need to understand why it's funny. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because <laughs> you want to be on the inside joke. In your opinion, what is his most underappreciated film? Well, I would say Jackie Brown because... Obviously, I saw Pulp Fiction in the theater. I thought it was greatest thing since sliced bread. And we waited a few years. Yes, we did. His next movie, I was like, you're expecting it to top it. You know, you're yeah. expecting, you're not expecting the, the trend to go down. You're expecting to have something even more magical and amazing. And, and I think it suffered from that. Who is your all-time favorite character in the vast Tarantino-verse? And that covers all 12 films, the nine he's directed, the three he has written. Well, okay, so I'm, uh, my, my answer is going to sound fa- familiar. If you would have asked me three years ago, <laughs> <laughs> it would. my answer would have been Clarence Worley. Obviously. Ooh, yes, yes. Yeah, because it's, uh, I even dressed like him in college. Uh, I, I found some bowling shirts and Hawaiian shirts and, and those white walkover shoes and white T-shirt. Uh, I'll, send, I'll send you a picture of me in 1998. <laughs> Fantastic. Dressed exactly like him in the, in the phone booth scene with, with the blue uh, bowling shirt and everything. So I, I would have said Clarence Worley because 
I just identify with him and, and Tarantino. That's Tarantino wrote himself, uh, you know, as Clarence, like it, like his fantasy version of yeah, himself. Yeah, he could be the, the superhero version of himself yeah. as Clarence Worley, which is a little odd to say anyways, just because how faulty Clarence Worley really is. That movie is kind of funny because at the beginning of the movie, he's, he's kind of a loser. He's kind of a geek loser. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden... He's put in some very different circumstances, and all of a sudden, he he out of nowhere, he becomes this I don't know, like uh, Charles Bronson uh, type guy who's like he's this badass. He's you know, so it's just it's amazing. So so you project yourself in, in that character. So that would have been my answer three years ago. Now my answer is Cliff Booth. I figured it was going to be Cliff. I really yeah. it was Cliff. <laughs> I'm so predictable. <laughs> I mean, he's a great character. He just, I think what helps that, for those of you listening who have not had a chance to read Once Upon a Time, it's worth the read. Yes. Because you get so much more insight into the characters, and you get so much more insight into Cliff Booth, which is fantastic. Which oh, is it's amazing. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the, the most, I, I think the most interesting part of that book is the backstory on Cliff. All right, podcast. Let's get podcasting. It's time to jump into From Dust Till Dawn. Here's some fucking facts. Jack. As you've listened, uh, I always have a couple of uh, informational parts before we get there. Fucking, 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 how many times is the word fuck said in From Dust Till Dawn? Wow. Okay. Now, now I have no idea. Okay. I, I'm going to guess. I don't guess it's too high. I'm going to say maybe in the 30s, 40s. Little low. It's 87. <laughs> it's not. Well, well, that is low, though, if you think about it, compared to the other movies. It's like, they're in the, like it's like 265 for Pulp Fiction. It's like wow. almost 300 for Reservoir Dogs. Like, you know, the fact that it's not as big, as, as high, is... Uh, is a bit surprising, but you know, hey, that was way is, off. Yeah, well, but not bad though. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> body count. This again is including, you know, the people who die, all the vampires and stuff. What is the number of people who die on screen in this film? Wow, now I'll that's got to be. It's a higher than Pulp that's got to be sure. high. That's got to be very high. Because from the first scene, somebody gets shot and killed. Two people get, get killed in the first scene. And then we got a bunch of vampires. Okay, so if you haven't watched the movie, don't listen to this podcast. Pause it because <laughs> it, 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 a bunch of spoilers. But, but the, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to run the tally in my head, starting with the, you know, the guy that works in the gas station, the cop. The hostage, uh, and then and then it just jumps. When, yeah, uh, the, it's, the, it starts the second half. low. Yeah, yeah. It's starting that off and it just <laughs> gets it's, it's probably three yeah. in an hour, and then the next <laughs> yes. hour is if I had to, it's like three a minute after that. Oh, at least, and then and then when when all the bats come out, and it's mm-hmm. like it, it's supposed to be hundreds. Apparently, I, I listened to the commentary. Uh, Robert Rodriguez says that uh, they had like six or nine people dressed up. Every different shot that would that would position them differently to, <laughs> yeah, so it looks like a big crowd but it's, yeah. it's nine people in, the, in those suits <laughs> but uh it, it, like all, all the waitresses and uh oh man yep I, I, I'd say 300. Oof, shot high, 122. Oh but that's, man, I, I'm terrible I today. It's all right. It's okay. Ooh. Some bare feet sightings. If you're a Tarantino fan, you know the man likes him some feet. All right. So mm-hmm. we've got some bare feet sightings. Now, 
I kept this to just humans because every single one of the vampires when you see them, they are bare. But that's not what we're looking no, at. That's, no, that's they're like a, vampire feet. Yeah, I'm talking human bare feet. That means before they turn vampire, if we see their feet, that is a plus. That's that's Oof. good. But this is also the first real film. Like we all knew, he had a bit of a fetish. Actually, I think we started to learn from this film, especially. But this film, he Robert Rodriguez knows, and it's yes. written in the script, and he really gives Tarantino the feet he's looking for. How many barefoot sightings? Do we get And it's not very high But it's okay. high Comparable to Other movies That we've had so far Do we count The dancers Hell When they first yes. walk in Which you're surprised Because actually A lot of the dancers I went back and watched Have shoes on Okay Yes Which I didn't think But they a lot of them Have heels on For me I thought Oh we're gonna have A ton of them But no, they dance with the heels. Okay, so f- of course, uh, Juliette Lewis's yep. character is. Are we counting the the hostage? Yep. Okay, so that's two. Selma Hayek. Yep. Let me see. Maybe three, two, two bars. So that's like seven. Okay, let me let me say seven. Six. So close. Oh, that was okay. good. That was good. <laughs> really good. Next up. The motherfucking Tarantino-verse. Now, we have two solid ones and three sort-ofs. And some people probably go, what are the sort-ofs a lot of times I've been putting them in? It's things that almost happened or are kind of like peripheral things that have happened, but they have some connections and they don't, you know, they're not as airtight as some of them. Number one. Is Seth Gecko returns from scoping out the border with a couple bags of the Big Kahuna Burger. This yeah. would mark the third time it made it into a film. The first official time being Pulp Fiction. Four Rooms, which is a short film, but it does come in four rooms before this. And then we get it in here. Anyone who remembers on Reservoir Dogs... Michael Madsen's character, Mr. Uh, Blonde, had the cup with the stripes with no logo that would eventually become Big Kahuna Burger would be. So Seth Gecko, very vivid to see that when he walks in from uh, the border. He's actually eating one when he realizes the hostage mm-hmm. is missing. Yes. Number two. The man we talked about and alluded to earlier, Mr. Earl McGraw, uh-huh. played by the great and late Michael Parks, who I absolutely love him. I love his son, James Parks, is fantastic in the movies he's in. The odd thing is he makes his introduction into the Tarantino-verse, and also he dies and ends right. the Tarantino-verse. <laughs> so he also is in Kill Bill and Death Proof in Tarantino's world, and obviously he crosses over into Planet Terror. Yes. I absolutely love him as Earl McGraw. It's, it's fantastic. Oh, one, one of amazing. my favorites. Now, here are the side ones. As I kind of started off this section of the podcast, Mr. Seth Gecko, played by the amazing George Clooney. Clooney's phenomenal in this movie. Yes. Phenomenal. And he was a revelation because he, he was a TV actor. And he'd been in a couple other things. Nothing great, but this was this one he came out and firing all cylinders. And yep. you knew from that moment on, you're like, oh, he's going to be a star. He's going to be a movie star. Yeah. Yeah. And probably the cheapest they ever got it for like $250,000. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. think he's, <laughs> I think he farts in a commercial for two fifty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think he's taking anything else. <laughs> He says, all right, Ramblers, let's get rambling. It's the same exact thing that Joe Cabot says mm-hmm. in Reservoir Dogs when they're leaving from the breakfast to get ready to go do the actual heist. However, he takes this kind of catchphrase and does it two more times within the movie. He says, okay, hard drinkers, let's get drinking. Uh-huh. And he also says, okay, vampire killers, let's kill some vampires. Santanico Pandemonium. All right, it's easy for us to say, right? Yeah. She was supposed to dance to the coasters down in Mexico. Instead, she danced to After Dark by Tito and the Tarantulas, who are the house band. And I absolutely love that song. I'm glad she did. I saw them live, by the way. But I, we'll talk amazing. about that later. However, Tarantino used the coaster song for Butterflies Dance, mm-hmm. Lap Dance, in Death Proof. So Death, the song still Death made. Proof, yeah. Ezekiel 2517, yes. in a very rough draft, was originally written for Harvey Keitel's character Jacob in an early version as when he's backing in, he's got the shotgun. 
gun bat mm-hmm. cross, you know, mix up he's got going on there. When he's backing down the hallway, he's supposed to say that as he's going to the door. Tarantino preferred it much better in Pulp Fiction, as do I, and I think it works better because it's cooler that a hitman saying it as opposed to it's uh, very on the nose for right. the priest to do it. It, it would have felt a little, you know, hackneyed, in my opinion, if it had been the other way around. I was listening to a commentary, and Tarantino was actually saying that he had written the script of From Dust Till Dawn, and it wasn't being made by anybody for a little while, and then he was writing Pulp Fiction, and his reasoning was, well... It's not going to get made. Let me pick the best little parts that I really like and put them in my movie. So he put them in, he put that little monologue in Pulp Fiction. I agree with you. It works. It's the it best works. place. 100%. Yeah. Yes, yeah. sir. And those were the facts, Jack. And now the gospel, according to the almighty Tarantino, chapter five, from dusk till dawn. So we're going to start this bad boy off. Now, I am going to be doing a Bible study on the very opening scene. So we're going to touch on it. And the reason I picked the opening scene is because I absolutely love it. It's filled with three Academy Award winners in the scene. And we get the great Earl McGraw, James Parks. He walks into the scene driving up when we get to the liquor store. So when the movie opens, you have no idea what's going on. And the great James Parks walks in. All the swagger of Texas this man is exuding from his body. All the swagger of Texas. Now, what I love about him is, as I've come up with, is he is the touchstone for the Tarantino verse, right? So he's the guy we can kind of look at to see what's going on. This isn't 100% factual. I don't know, but I have gone through. I have figured out the order in which the movies now should go due to the fact of him being in it. So if we go chronological order by time, Django and Chain obviously would be the first chronological. It's pre-Civil War, the South. Right. Then the Hateful Eight comes out. That's post-Civil War in yep. the West. Then we've got mm-hmm. Inglorious Bastards at the end of World I... War II. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at the end of the 60s, right before 1970 starts. Then you can kind of start sliding things in. But up first would be Pulp Fiction. The reason being is if you've gotten to listen to any of the other stuff I've done, some of the things that Tarantino is going to write in his scripts that should have made it have characters that would have shown up prior to. So originally in the Tarantino script of Pulp Fiction, we were going to get a extra couple of scenes of Drexel Spivey from True Romance, which then says that Pulp Fiction predates True Romance. So I have Pulp Fiction, Natural Born Killers around the same time frame. Then True Romance, because True Romance has to be next because when we get to Reservoir Dogs, the original script of True Romance has Clarence dying, which then means Alabama moves on right. to hook up with Mr. White, which then puts uh, Reservoir Dogs ahead. Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, I feel, fall in around the same time frame anyway. So they're in there. Now, this is where Mr. Parks comes in because he makes an appearance in Kill Bill. And then he comes into Death Proof, and then we finalize it with Here from Dust Till Dawn. So this could be in the 12 films. This could be the last of the films in the (laughs) chronological order. Now, I don't want anyone to get their panties in a bunch, get all upset. This is just me having fun, thinking of how they could fall in, based on knowledge I've gotten. Tarantino's not come out and said any of this stuff. At least the four we know are correct, is we know that Django, Hateful Eight, Inglorious, and Once Upon a Time all happen in those sequences. They're the first four films, chronological by year. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, But that's what Mr. Parks does. He he ties us into that because of his character arc and where he is, that we are introduced to him dead. And I'll be honest with you, it was a brief scene. I loved him. I thought he was great. And then when he comes in, 
Finn and Kill Bill. I got so fucking excited when he was there again with all the sunglasses on the dashboard. Like, I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, they brought him back. <laughs> so great. That scene is amazing. I, I, I still think about it every time I put something in the microwave. <laughs> yes, it's such a good, <laughs> that shit will kill line. you quicker than a bullet. Well, <laughs> it's like the epitome of the Texas American cop and, and specifically Texas Oh yes, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. If if you were to say, you know, if, if you're gonna have a stereotype, yeah. he's he's the stereotype. He's the guy. <laughs> However, another guy who's kind of like a stereotype. If you think of like some kind of good old boy redneck <laughs> Texan, John Hawks, who no one knows who he is at the time, plays Pete Bottoms, the guy on staff that day. Unfortunately for him, he tells George Clooney's character that he should win an Academy Award for how good he's doing uh-huh. lying to the Cowboys in the bathroom. Right. Fifteen years later, he wins an Academy Award. <laughs> As supporting actor in 2010 for Winter's Bone. He's telling a future winner who he wins as a producer and he also wins as an actor, Mr. George Clooney. And he happens to be doing it in a script for a man who just recently won the Academy Award and he would be a two-time Academy Award winner for a writer, which is Quentin Tarantino. So three Academy Award winners are in it. And the best part of the scene is the man who dies, Earl McGraw. He doesn't win the Academy Award ever. He's the best part. That's amazing. And did you know that uh, it was supposed to be uh, Steve Buscemi that was uh, working in the in in the gas station, and he couldn't do it? It's crazy. As I go through this podcast and do the research, the two men who have had the most opportunity to play in some of these movies is either Michael Madsen yes. or Steve Buscemi. Like Michael Madsen has been up for so many different fucking movies. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how many times he could have been in like all these different films, and he, and he either couldn't make it. I feel like he's almost a real life Rick Dalton. Like, yes, like he's so yes. close. Like he, he was is. so close. He's like the real life Rick Dalton. Like he's this close yes. to being in all these films. And look, I'm I'm a fan. I love him. We share a birthday. Oh, absolutely, uh, man. When when I go to a new uh, hairdresser, I show them the, his first uh, you know picture, his first uh, uh, publicity shot <laughs> for my, for my hair. And but I have watched some movies that were not so great just because he was in it. <laughs> well, as I said in one of the podcasts, they don't use him properly. No, uh, Tarantino gets the most out of him, and I think a lot of times they're like, "Hey, we want you to replicate Mr. Blonde and just be Mr. Blonde in this movie for us," you know. And yeah. it's unfortunate because he's a much better actor, oh, much better actor. Well, I do want to talk about one <laughs> one moment in the film which I find. <sighs> If I'm going to be honest with myself, it's a hilarious back and forth between them. But given that it's now 26 years down the road, it doesn't hold up as strongly. And that is the conversation about the mentally handicapped boy working at the local grill that they're not too happy about working there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's the thing. Here's what I said. Here was my question for you. Could the conversation make it in today's world? And... Is it out of the realm of how people actually talk, whether we like to admit it or not? So in a movie, it feels like it shouldn't be in there because they use the R word. They say some things. They, they say some things that people, much like when I kind of had a conversation about when they use the N word in some of his other films. Mm-hmm. Certain times, like in Pulp Fiction, when Lance says to uh, Vincent about, am I an N word? Are we an Ingle? When he's talking that way and trying to sell himself on his product, it's not out of the realm of what, what I've heard in my lifetime of people like the, the quiet racism. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, or, oh, yeah. the, or the quietness of being able to say the word because there's no one of that ethnic group around. So right. you you feel free to say it willingly because there are no repercussions. No one's, you know, this right. is pre the time we live in now where everyone's filming everything, you know, where you could say yeah. something and no one would know that you've ever said it. 
So I feel like this conversation could still be had, but it would be had by people like it wouldn't work in film. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it'd be as colorful because Tarantino really digs in to making it colorful. Like he throws some stuff in there that it's funny, but it's also like that kind of comedy we feel bad laughing at because it says a lot about you as a piece of shit human being. So I'm not (laughs) pretending I'm not. But at the same time, if I was going to write a scene like that, I definitely wouldn't use that kind of language because I think if you do it now, you're just trying to be edgy. Back then, 26 years ago, it's just, you know, there wasn't the activism that we have now today, you know, to try to, you know, get people to not be just free and loose and, and actually think about other people what it might hurt it's not out of the realm of yeah. possibility that people still talk like this behind closed doors or when they're not around oh, civilized they people do. they absolutely do look I, I i love the area i live in but it's the deep south i didn't want to say it. i wanted you to say it. i, I well, didn't want to cross the well, <laughs> i love it i love, I love it. and look it, it's it's very bizarre because it's the same people that would give you the shirt off their backs that would drive you to the airport uh you know early in the morning that would stop and change a random uh, stranger's tire on the side of the road and we're talking about some of the nicest people ever that i've ever met in my life and yet once in a while you hear something and you're like oh boy you know, <laughs> yep. again, I didn't want to, I always like having, what I like about having, I don't want to say foreigners, but I like about having people who are not American born on mm-hmm. is I also like the perspective. I like the different perspective because I'm in it. My perspective of what France is without having living there would just be what I've been told, but you've been had a chance to live here. I, I like the, the chance of seeing it from different eyes. You know, I know how I feel about it. I was going to say, I have no doubt in my mind that in Texas, this conversation for certain parts is a very real conversation what happened. Oh, and yes. It's probably happening as we speak. But yeah. I don't also want to go out there and just like, like I don't want to say that people are doing it intentionally. I just think some people don't care how they speak and they're, they're, they're free with it and they don't, they're not worried if it hurts somebody. I don't, it wouldn't be written in film anymore today. You wouldn't have the same conversation. Well, I think if one person would still do it, it'd be Tarantino. And he would just go, you know, guess what? That's that character. I don't care. You know what the funny thing is? No one brings this up. In all the things they talk about in his movies, they complain about the N-word use. And no one remembers this scene at all. It like goes by them. They have no idea they have this opening scene of them saying things about mentally handicapped people in a very, very sour way. Right. It, it's just not right. But like, like I said, I, I think he would still... I don't know if he would still... But if somebody would still put that in a movie, it, it'd be him, for sure. Now... Here's a bit of a, a fun and yet sad note. Mrs. Kelly Preston, the late wife of Mr. John Travolta, was cast to play the newscaster in this after meeting Quentin on the set of Pulp Fiction. Mr. John Saxton, he plays the FBI agent she interviews. And for those of you who don't know who John Saxton is, I think the best way I could say a movie is he is in Enter the Dragon. He is a white guy with dark hair, and he's on Bruce Lee's side in Enter the Dragon. So if you've seen Enter the Dragon, and you see this dark-haired guy who looks like he may be like a, G- a mix of a G.I. Joe slash Ken doll, that's John Saxton. <laughs> right? Is that like not a good, yeah, great way to describe how, what he looks like? Like, he looks <laughs> the same in every movie. Like, he's like a G.I. Joe they just bring out of the box, and they put him in like, all right, play this, this part. Great actor. I've seen a movie recently from the 70s. I'm sorry to cut you off, but he was, I think he, he he was playing somebody whose dad had, was making moonshine and he was running moonshine in a, kind of like Burt Reynolds movies, you know, when they run moonshine. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and um, white lining. The bandits and, all that. and stuff, yeah. Right. But they, they was, it was one movie with him and I think it's, it was something like that. He had a muscle car. It was, it's on, it's on Amazon Prime somewhere. It, it popped up and I watched a little bit of it. It's kind of cheesy, so I didn't watch the whole thing. But yeah, he's, he's done some exploitation films. Yes. Yeah. Now, what I meant by sad is they both passed away 
in 2020, two weeks apart from each other. Kelly Preston passed away of breast cancer on July 12th of 2020, and John from pneumonia on July 25th. Just an eerie, weird thing. The two of them are in a scene together. And they're in the same scene, yeah. And the same scene, and they die within two weeks of each other in the same month of the same year. Just bizarre, you know? It's just one of those, like, weird coincidences of things that happen, you know? So, like, I bet if, you know, Miss Preston is standing there, she's thinking, I'm going to live this motherfucker across from me. And (laughs) he beat her by not only years, but by two weeks. So I'm not trying to make light of the situation. Just, you know, like, if you're standing in a scene, if me and Willie Nelson are standing in a scene together, I'm like, I've got Willie easily. And then I end up dying first, and he joins me two weeks later. I'm going to be like, God damn it, I was wrong. Really wrong. (laughs) That's crazy. I didn't Uh, know about that. They get away from the the amazing shootout at the opening scene, and we we find out that in the opening credits that we've got a young lady, or a youngish lady, in the trunk of the car. We've Mm -hmm. got a hostage. The woman who they kidnapped is played by Brenda Hillhouse. Do you know what other movie she was in, in the Tarantino-verse? No. She is Butch's mother in the gold watch scene. She oh. is Butch's mom. Okay, I never noticed that. Did I we know. see her? Do we see her on screen? We do, because she comes in and she tells him to turn off the TV, and she's like, this is Captain Coons, and she introduces him and kind of stands off to the side for a little bit while he tells the story of, her, of him wearing a watch in his ass till he died of dysentery. Right, right, right. <laughs> so she made two appearances. Wow, I had no idea. Now, we know about her demise with those of us who've seen the movie, and I gotta feel like if you're on a podcast, my fifth episode, and you listen to From Tulsa Dawn, you've seen this film. It's 26 years. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I don't know that I'm giving anything away. No. But when he comes back, we find out that, and we have ideas that something's wrong with Richie to start with. Like, it's yeah. when we're in the hotel room. He's a time and, bomb. And, yeah. Richie's and, a time and the bomb. way he is in the, in the thing, where he's lying, and he starts the whole problem, and then he comes back, and then we realize that he's also a rapist. He's Well, we say he's a sex offender when they see the right. news thing anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But he's raped and killed her, and it's so eerie. Once you see the movie the f- after the first time and then you watch him every time and i gotta give tarantino credit because a lot of people are always like i oh, can't act but his change to when he sits on the bed and has her you want to watch tv like when he kind of almost goes to, like mm-hmm. a little boy it's it creepy as yeah. fuck yeah creepy as fuck oh. and i don't know if he knew he was doing it well but it's just like oh my god i was like i think tarantino's <laughs> a pedophile <laughs> but why does seth make an exception for the fact that his brother's a rapist and should that, he have killed weakness. him at the motel because he should know that this type of behavior would cause them problems in Mexico? Obviously, right. we're going to jump past. We know how things end. But in this moment, if we're in that moment, why does he give him a pass? And why doesn't he just be, realize, like, we're, we just got away from this bank robbery. We just had this whole big shit that's most likely his fault anyways. It's just one. He's, like, constantly fucking up. At one point, it's almost like of mice and men. You got to put Georgie down. At one well, point, he's Georgie. Richie is... Seth's one weakness because Seth is we we learned that he's pretty much like he's pretty much a psychopath when when he's talking to uh, Harvey Keitel when they're in the RV and Harvey Keitel tells him that his wife just passed the window and the demeanor of Seth it's like he just told him that he woke up and 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 fixed himself cereal like he's like yeah mm, okay yeah oh yeah that's a bummer uh, you know and so so we see that Seth is complete sociopath he's got one weakness that's his brother and that's it almost cost him his life because Richie's the agent of chaos because Seth on his own is he's smart, he's ruthless, and he can run, hide, do anything without a, not even a second thought. But his one weakness is his brother. 
And his brother is just making it so difficult to get away with what he's trying to get away with. Every step of the way, he's he's just making it so much more complicated to where he just he has to just cold cock him in showers, <laughs> you know, to, just so he could just shut up and they can just cross the border. And I think it's his one weakness is his brother because that's his brother, and that's and that's that's sweet, you know. It's and those those two guys are complete dirtbags, but at the same time, there's you can see the love and and the connection there. And and one of my favorite interaction in the in the whole movie is when they're uh, Salma Hayek just finished. Her dance and it's just like you you have that glow of oh my god we just witnessed something just so amazing and wow and then all of a sudden uh, George Clooney sees uh, Cheech Marin that just came back in and is yeah. telling Danny Trejo and a couple of other big guys and I love it because Tarantino's Richie has his back turned towards the door and it's only George Clooney that can see that happening. And once they, they walk in those guys are walking towards the, their table George Clooney looks at uh, uh, Tarantino and goes Richie. And that's all he has to say. Yeah, he's like, Richie, back on the clock. Yeah. And Richie goes, how many? Because he knows yeah. exactly what that means. And I love that interaction, like, Richie. And he goes, how many? And that's because he knows. Yeah. He's like, okay, let's go. Like, I just love that they're little. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's a very it's a small but no throwaway line there. <laughs> it's like they're used to this. And usually when he can read his brother's face and he knows exactly what that Richie with that tone of voice means. We, yeah. We're in trouble. There could, somebody's coming <laughs> yeah. behind you. And all Tarantino says is, how many? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Without giving too much away about what he sees, I love the way Rodriguez shot that scene where we don't get to see a whole lot of what Richie did to the woman in there. It's a lot of quick right. cuts. He may have taken a page, maybe it was in the script, and you know, obviously Tarantino's on set with him, and it's much like the ear-cutting scene in Reservoir Dogs where right. even just those flashes, we start putting together more pieces than what's going on there. It's those few moments. It just gives us a little bit of the puzzle piece that we decide to then put together in our mind and make it far worse than pretty much anything you could have seen. You know, I think we'd have been more desensitized if he just opened the door and we see it as opposed to yeah. we look at George and his reaction, great yes. reactions, and then uh -huh. the flashes. Just yeah. just brilliantly done, in my opinion. Oh, it's amazingly acted, amazingly directed. This movie, you know, it's deceptive because you, you think it's just like, you know, a vampires, you know, movie, the drive-in kind of Up to this point, you have no movie. idea if vampires are coming. No. You have but, no but what idea I'm, what's coming. But what I'm saying, if, if you've seen the movie a couple of times, or once it towards the end you you know all you all you really uh remember is the violence and the vampires and all this and all that but and and when you do you rewatch it and like you said that those little scenes those little the acting the directing it's not just an exploitation grindhouse you know drive-in movie it, it's more than that it's it's very well written obviously acted directed there's really like little just just that that reaction that scene you're just talking about it, it's very well done like it, it could have been like you said it could have been like oh we we, we see the, the dead the woman you know on the bed whatever and oh this is horrible no just the way it's it's brought it's just the, the tension and the, it, it's it's really well. Yeah, made. it's a it's a masterclass from both of them to put it together. Now, do you think a Tarantino, especially in the '90s, realized that he looked like a rapist slash pedophile because he he has the look like it's it's kind of scary. I mean, I know he's an odd looking person as it is. I get it, <laughs> and probably because he was a little odd and a little geeky, it's why he is the way he is now. Which is, you know, for me, it's great because I love everything he does. But yeah. rewatching the movie now, watching him and knowing what he's playing, it's a little typecast. 
podcast. It's a little scary. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be mean to the man. I'm not like he'll ever hear this. But if he ever did, I'm not being mean. But look, he just kind of did look a little bit, little, little on the nose for his look and well, who he's supposed you to know, play. Let's just say if the if the, the the casting was reversed, it wouldn't have been as believable. <laughs> very, very true. <laughs> I mean, the only, I mean, Steve Buscemi has a bit of that look too. Sometimes too, yeah. you can go. You know, mm-hmm. he would have he would have been a great Richie, I guess. And, and you know, the, the the hair kind of combed oh, to God, the, you know yes. forward and the glasses and the plastic bit. You know, uh, <laughs> it's just yeah, it's 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 great. And and what he was saying in the commentary I, I listened to, he made sure that he didn't have too many lines. Uh, just to, to make his character more scary, more mysterious, because he said, and Ro- Rodriguez told him that he said, "Look, you wrote all the all the jokes are for Clooney. Like you, you, you got to put yourself some jokes in there." And he said, "No, I don't want to because." That's not that's not that character. That character is dark, and dark character <laughs> yeah. is not going to be like, "Hey, I got a I got a funny joke." You yeah, know, no. Yeah. And it made it made it made him more believable as a dark, you know. And his look helped. Let's call let's call a spade a spade. His look helped. It helped him pull off. Well, pull off Scott, Richie. if if Quentin Tarantino ever listens to this podcast, I, he'll never talk to me. I know. I know. Those I are your words. Look, at, look, it's it's fine. <laughs> you know what? Look. When you said about the hair, like when I saw this movie, now obviously I'm bald. You can see that. I used to have hair at one point. I'm going to admit this on my podcast. I used to have my hair cut in the Caesar, as it was called, like George uh, Clinton, because I thought it was so fucking cool in this movie. Right. I brushed it for and I cut it like a Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, look, we all do things. We all have looks that we look back kind of go, oh, boy. All right. What do we do that for? So, yeah. I love Clarence, but when I look back on those pictures, I'm like, dude, really? Like, <laughs> we get you. You, we get it. You like that movie, but do you have to walk around looking like Clarence Worley? <laughs> oh god! It's like in the movie The Wedding Singer. He's like, "Oh, you like flock of seagulls?" He goes, "No, but I know you do." He's got the flock of seagulls here at the right at the counter <laughs> yeah, getting the tickets. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh man. Now, we get introduced to the Fullers, and Harvey Keitel, so greatly cast, against type, too. Talking about different against type. No one expects Harvey Keitel to be a preacher who is questioning his faith. Mm -hmm. Looking back on it, it's such an honest portrayal of a man who has lost somebody and now is questioning his faith. Many years down the road, less than a decade, you would get signs where M. Night Shyamalan would have Mel Gibson, (laughs) before Mel Gibson is who we know him as today, Mel Gibson's preacher lose his faith because of a similar... Incident where a wife is taken in an accident, and as Clooney calls it, those acts of God, he really sticks him in and breaks him yeah. up, doesn't he, kind of thing. <laughs> and I just thought it was a great portrayal, and what a subdued portrayal, because, you know, this is the third of four times that he's in, and he's, you know, one of them's a voice, but we've seen him as Mr. White. We've seen him as Mr. Wolf, these two cool-ass characters, and now he's playing uh, Jacob Fuller. This He's almost like Kane from Kung Fu, except with kids. Like He's just going to travel. I, we don't know where he's traveling. They're just traveling. They're leaving. They're getting the hell out of wherever he's from, and he just can't do it anymore. And it's such an honest portrayal and such a you know good one of, you know, without beating it over the head of a man who's No, it's lost. understated. It's very yeah. understated. And he brings a lot of gravitas to that character, to that portrayal, and... It's it, like you said. It, it's not showy. It's just his his demeanor, his eyes, his face, and, and they were saying on the commentary, him and um, Tarantino and Rodriguez were saying that he had the look, he had the hat and the beard, and it just he would, would walk around on set like with his uh, kind of hunched over, kind of like you know, like an old man. Like he, he looked older than he usually did in movies. And then once the 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 day was was over, he would be Harvey Keitel again, and you know, like with with his charisma yeah. and this and then his coolness and stuff. But he had a way of 
inhabiting that character that was that shows you how great of an actor he is oh it's he's fantastic and perfectly cast in this like you would not have expected harvey Keitel no to be playing this preacher and it doesn't like to swear you know it's just great portrayal that's what's great in, in a lot of tarantino movies they cast people that you already know against sometimes against type and you're like how's that gonna work and then you see it and you go oh wow that yes. is one of the geniuses that we have talked about in this podcast is for all the writing and all the music and all this other stuff what he is amazing at is casting people daryl hannah as l driver if you listen to daryl hannah talk outside of being an l driver she sounds batshit crazy <laughs> Carradine, if you're not of our age or even older have no idea who he was that he was in the show called kung fu you know I mean, there's so many things you don't yeah. know about him. And yet here he is, he, you know, John Travolta at the time. Well, yeah. He was doing the fucking Look Who's Talking movies. Yeah, I was about to say that. Basically finds, I don't want to say finds, but literally brings to the forefront Samuel Jackson. Because, you know, he was already in some other movies. But Jules Winfield, also now Samuel Jackson's everywhere. You know, like, I mean, Jules yeah. Winfield launches him. It is one of the things he does great is his casting. And I don't know that people, or at least the people who do his casting for him, he just writes the roles for him and he, and he knows. He just has an eye for it. And just knows that they're going to pull it off. It's one of those things that I think is very understated about him that he doesn't yep. get enough credit for. Absolutely. Now, we're going to talk about another <laughs> another moment. Seth, his comments about Scott's ethnicity being wrong, they feel very genuine. He says uh, Korean or Japanese, Chinese, uh, Japanese. whatever he goes, oh, you know. It's a very interesting way that the, the scene is handled because... At one point, it feels insensitive, but at the same time, I don't think it's just, and again, this is not, this is not, I don't want this to like sound like I'm about to start a clan meeting. I don't think it's just white people that way. I think all the ethnicities look at people who don't look like them and could be easily confused from they're from. Unless you've spent time in Asia or different parts of Africa or different parts of even Latin America or yeah. different places where, where people have different look, you know, they may look the same on the outside, but and honestly, you know, like for instance, Asian, they're just the eyes. The shape of the eyes can be different and can tell you what part of Asia they're from. If you don't spend time there, it's probably easy for you to just say Chinese or Japanese because those are the two most well-known. And then, you know, you skip over Vietnam or Laos or Cambodia or Korea. You know what I mean? Not intentionally. But is his reaction, especially nowadays, Clooney's reaction to when he says it wrong and what's his name corrects him. <laughs> it's so genuine, but yet I don't feel like it was intentional, like trying to be insensitive. It's just like, I'm taking you prison right now. The thing you're going to give me shit about is I got your son's ethnicity wrong. That's what you're upset about? First, he assumes that it's not his son. It's kind of like, okay, that is what's true. going yeah, on? I, yeah, I guess he does put him on the back foot a little bit to start with. Like he assumes it's I think all that participates to to set up Seth's character. Like he's just doesn't oh, care. He's, he's brash. One of my favorite things in the movie is when they get to the uh, the bar and he gets the bottle of whiskey and he goes find a table and the table is already somebody, a, a few people on the table. And just the way he just casually gets to the table, <laughs> just completely, just like grabs the guy's hand and just like kicks them to the ground to just take their table, just casually. Like he was just like, that's no big deal. <laughs> it, it's just his whole character is just like, I don't care. That just that little exchange between between him and Kaitel and, and his son in the movie is just to, to set the, the, the character in motion is set. Gecko doesn't care. It's not there for, to be sensitive. I think it's funny, though, like he offends Scott, or actually more or less offends, really, Harvey's character, Jacob, and yet his offense then causes him to be offended. You know, it's that weird, like, you know, <laughs> like you're offended that that got offended. It's so, it's so fucking it's hypocritical. Just casual, it's casual, so ridiculous. Casual racism. 
racist, you know? <laughs> Again, I don't know that he was being racist. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't he didn't use the usual verbiage that would be right. used towards Asians. I just but, love it. He's offended, yeah, and he's offended. It's such a, such a true moment, especially yeah. 26 well, yeah. years later. It still hits so true, which is mind-blowing. I have been around casual racists like that, all, like a bunch of times, and they just don't see anything wrong with it. You know, it's just... Agreed. Agreed. They get offended when you get offended. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The yeah. hypocrisy is, is, is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have a good question for you. Because I was thinking about this today. I was putting my notes together. How long of a day is this? How fucking long of a day is this? Because we opened the film, and so Earl McGraw is getting off work. So if he's working yep. the 7 to 3, we'll say it's 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. They make it across that. And this whole thing takes place in one day. Yes. It has to be the longest sunlight of the day because he, <laughs> I wrote this Maybe. down. This is what happens after the Earl McGraw scene. Right? This is what happens. Summer, right? <laughs> it's it's got to be. I mean, I get it's Texas, <laughs> but how fucking long of a day is this? So then we get to it. The titty twister is when it gets dark. When he forward the pull up, then we get dark. So Seth has time to go to the border. He gets food. He gets drunk. He kidnaps the Fullers. It's like a four to five hour time frame that that's all it happens in. But it feels like it's in the lifespan of just an hour. And not only that, but the Fullers show up. They get their room. And Kate has time to go take a swim before all of this ends. Right. And it's the same like light of day. Like well, okay. Seth, he, he leaves, checks the border. Yep. And Richie says, you've been going a long time. Yeah. Comes back with the burgers. He finds out that his brother's a fucking, knows his brother's a rapist, but he rapes yeah. and kills a woman. He's drinking a beer to get drunk from it all. He's drunk, almost gets run over by the RV. They then take the hostage. Kate's swimming. They get in the thing. They make it across the border, and they pull up to the titular, and it's now it's dark. Like I remember thinking, like, did that take two days? Like I couldn't remember. I was like, well, okay. Or is this I, one I, day? I'll say this: I'm not an expert on cops, but they they have different shifts. Yeah. So he, but he opened. So seven to three was is like so you have your, it's like seven oh. to three, three to eleven, eleven to seven. The She's seven, like the three. Right. So he's, and he said, I'm going to get tanked tonight. So you know it's afternoon. And he even says it's been on all day. So it happened in the morning, the daylight robbery. So we all know it's in the afternoon. But I'm telling you, that afternoon, that afternoon to evening goes by in 30 right. minutes. And it's like a seven hour time frame. But the light should have, it should have been like 10 o'clock at night before any of that stuff happens. Right. But at the same time, dawn comes up so quick because it's nighttime. They get in the fight and then they, they hold up in, in the back room and then they kill all all the vampires well, most of the vampires and all of a sudden it's it's already daylight this is true like i'm saying there's it, we don't know where we are in time the no. time time slips away from us in this <laughs> like it's like that the steve Miller song, time keeps on slipping into the future we have no idea what's going on what kind of a degenerate do you think <laughs> You have to be to believe a woman you've never met, let alone one you're kidnapping, would turn to you and ask you to eat her pussy. Well, <laughs> think and, of a degenerate. And, do you and, have to be that's in your mindset that a woman who you just walked in the door has a gun to her face would turn to you and then say, you know what, in this moment of terror where you might kill me and my family, <laughs> if you have an opportunity, could you just drop down and give me quick head if you don't mind? <laughs> and she's, uh, is she, can we assume that she's underage? She's, she says she's 19. I think when they're Drinking, okay. she says she's 19 oh, okay. when she's drinking. Okay. I think because we know when he gives her the shots when we we're at the titty twister. Right. Okay. Okay. Because she looks young. Which is crazy because she does this film after she does Mallory Knox in National Coast. And she looks like she's in her yes. 30s. Like uh, she's a fantastic actress. Uh, she's, she's, yeah, she's amazing. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's crazy. You know, I never thought about it until like I was rewatching. I was like, wait a minute. This is all in his head. Like I'm yes. just bringing together all the events. I'm like, you are God. I mean, what a fucking sick. Maybe that's why he doesn't say a lot because he's got all this shit going yes. on in his head. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's that's exactly talk. it. This, this, little, this, little, this little scene is us seeing his point of view 
and and his life going like that's how he lives his life so so we see that little snippet of like 10 15 seconds that's his life like that's All that I guess you know in his head, he's you know a little, little messed up. <laughs> Just a tad. He needs he needs his bit <laughs> in. <laughs> Now, were you happy that George knocks him the fuck out? Look, it's written. It's a great scene. It's tense. They're at the border, and he just won't shut his fucking mouth. At that moment, I'm glad he knocked him out. But now having these questions for you, and I wrote, and you should have shot him. At this point, if I'm sad, I'm like, I've got to kill my brother. Like, But at this can't. point, if we survive this moment, this guy in this day has done at least three or four things that have almost got us captured and possibly killed. And you got to think that once we get to Mexico, and it's more of a wild, wild west show, he's going to run his mouth or do something to rape yep. somebody down there that's going to oh, get yeah. us killed. Like, I know he's your brother, but at one point, <laughs> you know? I have a feeling that that day is not any different from any other day with him. That's just who you're he is. Probably right. You're, pro you're probably right. You're probably right. You know, that's, but that's the thing. He's used to it. He's used that's to the it. thing. As we talked about and I've said in podcasts, the one thing that makes these very grounded stories that he does, and they're not just characters playing these tropes of people we've seen in movies, is they all have flaws. They're very flawed. And it's not like, you know, they have to go out of the way. They're all drunks. That's none of that. It's very simple flaws that we all have. You know, it's easy to make a person, he's a drunk. He's a sex addict. He does drugs. But the fact that you know your brother's a piece of shit, but because you're so loyal to him, Yes. You know, you, that you don't get rid of them. Or, you know, the simple thing of forget that a balloon in a baggie, that that's going to make a big difference. It's these simple flaws that fuck people up that make all the stories so realistic. Right, yeah, because that's true to life. Because, you know, people that, that I know around me have siblings who are infuriating sometimes, and it's the same, you see the same patterns over and over, but you can't wash your hands of that person because they're, they're your sibling. So that's true. very true. We have a very enabling, as family, we enable a lot of people, and which we shouldn't. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a but, hard but it's, thing. But it's a conflict between yeah. enabling them and you don't want to turn your back but at the same time you don't want to, it's it's like this this dichotomy of it's a double edged sword yeah i don't want to enable him but but i can't turn my back to them either and it's yeah. like it's like a go you know it's a back and forth so I, i find that's very cool to have put that in there because that's his one weakness is his brother yeah. and and what i love about george clooney's acting in that movie is just just the little, the little twitches he does like yep. when <laughs> when he gets aggravated when he gets annoyed he just starts twitching like oh boy i i feel it coming it's a, it's about to mm -hmm. like it's just He's got that little twitch like, oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, Cheech Marin also has some great moments in this movie. And yes. one of them is as the Border Patrol when he is in, you know, he opens the door and she's sitting on the toilet with her pants down. How fucking creepy. And yet a great nod to Cheech for doing this. Is it that he kind of lingers a little oh. bit longer and like takes almost Boy. a second look to try to, to oh. look at her while she's on the toilet? Like Could he R. Take Kelly longer? like a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Could he take longer to close that, that door? It's such a creepy but yet a great nod. Like it works because it really makes us feel creeped out, which is the point. You know, it could be yeah. just, oh, I'm sorry, man, we close the door. No. But it's that little extra moment. Of, And he's like, hmm, he's make sure he yes. gets it out. Yeah. Yep, he's just trying to look. <laughs> Uh -huh. Speaking of Cheech, <laughs> yeah. then he has his best moment. I alluded to it earlier. How great is the sidewalk pussy sale monologue that he has out front of the titty twister? It's amazing. It is one of the great monologues of Tarantino's yes. career. And no one better. Like, I think a lot of times the monologues he writes, the people who say them, like, there's no one better to no. say them. They're the I, imagine, perfect person. Yeah. Imagine anybody else doing that speech. It, it, it would not be as good. There's only one other person I would like to hear, only because it'd be gloriously hilarious. I would love to hear Christopher Walken do the same thing. In <laughs> 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 his pentameter, yes. it would just be great. He's the I only just because of how he talks. It wouldn't have this. It'd just be it'd probably even creepier. <laughs> it'd be a lot slower. <laughs> yes, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, speaking of that, do you know any different varieties of pussy he names off that they're selling? No. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, it's more than you think. 30? Oh, okay. More than I thought. No. So he names off 17, but eventually there's 18 total because oh. he adds one. And I will name them all for you. There's white, black, Spanish, yellow, hot, cold, wet, smelly, hairy, bloody, snapping, silk, Velvet, my favorite, Naugahyde. <laughs> yeah, which you said pronounce it Naugahyde. Horse, dog, chicken. And then when she walks up, he adds in apple pie. So he offers 17 yeah. and he adds one at the end. True. Oh, uh, you can find pussy for cheaper. Fuck it. <laughs> oh, it's so, it's <laughs> yeah. so funny, but it's so good. It's the greatest fourth wall break, uh, you know, yes. until Stuntman Mike does it in Death Proof. So, you know, if you're going to break the fourth it's wall, great. there are moments to do it, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Do you know why he plays three different characters in the movie? No, I, I know what I, I was, I should have looked it up, but you know what? That's why I brought you on. Sometimes I, I don't want to do all the heavy lifting. <laughs> well, I, I, I just learned it today because I watched, I, I, I probably watched it years and years ago and I forgot the commentary that's on that's on the Blu-ray and it's Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino talking and apparently they were doing in the early production of the movie they did a reading and they, they was just just the main actors around the table you know with the script and Cheech Marin was in there it was obviously Tarantino George Clooney Juliette Lewis maybe Harvey Keitel and Cheech Marin maybe you know and that was it and of course there's more uh, characters in the movie so you know different people around the table you know kind of read for that other character that's going to be cast as somebody else and Cheech Marin did, you know, the lines for the for the Border Patrol guy, the, the guy that's uh, that's at the entrance of the of the bar, and uh, also for uh, the the guy yeah, at the Ramon end, the, or the, Raymond or whatever. Right, like, yeah. yeah, right. So he just did those three with three different voices, and it sounded so great that a couple of days later, Robert Rodriguez asked Cheech Marin, he said, "Look, would you be okay doing those three characters?" And and Cheech Marin said, "Look, I wasn't gonna bring it up because <laughs> I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be, hey, yeah, I can do all three and it would be awesome, blah blah." blah. But yeah, yeah, I think it would be. The irony of that is Mr. James Parks did the same when they were Kill Bill. He was going to obviously redo Earl McGraw, and when they were, they had already cast somebody to play Senior Viejo, and what ended up happening is, is the person wasn't there for the table read. James Parks steps in, and they had to pay the guy because they already hired him. They paid him without ever being on screen, and James Parks did both roles in the movie Kill wow. Bill. So. And it was saying that uh, in all, th- all three characters, it's kind of like the devil. It b- brings them to their demise. Like the Border Patrol guy brings them into Mexico. The guy, the Chet brings them into the bar. And, uh, you know, and the third one, uh, Ramon yeah. or whatever, but brings them to, you know, to... Uh, El Rey. Uh, El Rey. Yeah. El Rey, yeah. So it's like the bringing them in to yeah. know, deeper and deeper yeah. in hell. And hell. <laughs> the devil. Speaking of hell. <laughs> The Titty Twister. This mm-hmm. bar, this whole great set that they built, was actually supposed to be the living embodiment of Colonel Kurtz's compound from Apocalypse Now, just with tits and vampires. That's how they <laughs> wanted it to feel. They wanted it to feel like that. Did you know, you probably do because you watched the special feature, but did you know they set that motherfucker on fire about the first or second day of shooting? They shot the explosion scene where they run out at the end of the movie first. If you watch the extras on the Blu-ray, the DVD, or the iTunes extras, they'll have some behind the fiends, behind the fiends, yeah, behind (laughs) the scenes stuff. And Robert Rodriguez talks about it. They, They have the camera rolling and they show it. The explosion happens and then the front of it catches fire and you see these guys running in with hoses to try to put it out. They caused oh, them I've delay. Yes, they set it on fire in the explosion, like day one, the, day the two. Titty twister? Yes, the titty twister. Wow. <laughs> and it, it's got it's kind of like a, a Mexican version of uh, 
the Jackrabbit's Kind of. It's like yeah, the, the, yeah. It's one of those it, places, which brings me a great point, because I was going to ask you. Now, you live here now. So you've lived here 20 years. So now you you got you get some of the flair for what America will and won't do. Mm-hmm. Could a place like the Titty <laughs> Twister ever exist in the U.S.? No. I don't think so either. Even Vegas, I no. don't think, has the balls. No. And I'm not talking about it having vampires. So, so that's that's <laughs> <laughs> but just, I mean, even a bar named the Titty Twister. No, even. no. Well, no. You, you have to. It, it, you usually have to be more more slick yep. about it. You know, like landing strip. The, <laughs> you know, some, it, you know, it's always suggestive. But but on its face, you go, no, it's a landing yeah. strip. You know, it's it's foxy. You no, know, it's just the a pink fox. Clam. You know, no. Yeah, it's just, it's just seafood. Yeah, what are you talking about? You know, so you always have to have that plausible <laughs> yeah. deniability. You know, no, that's not at no, not at all. That shows the repression, the sexual repression we have in America, <laughs> which I'm sure you Would a place like that be able to exist in France? Obviously, it wouldn't just be called the Tid Twister, but obviously it would have, you know, whatever French connotation. Would a place like that be able to fly there? How about Amsterdam? If I, How about hmm. I also then jump Amsterdam? I mean, you've got red light districts well, over in Europe. Is You know, they yeah. try to keep their sex workers safe where we pretend that they're like a blind eye. We, we, sh- we shouldn't do anything for them. You, you know what that place reminds me of actually in America is Coyote Ugly. Yes, but a very more tame version. Yeah, yeah, uh, well, yeah, 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 right. yeah. very the, tame. Yeah. The, the American version is like as far as it can go Coyote, is Coyote yeah. Ugly. When the girls drink the shot and then they you know, yeah. put it on the belly button, all, all, all kind of weird yeah. stuff. Kind of like Sama Hayek, yeah. you know, when she puts her foot oh, yeah. in. We're about to get to that. Yeah. Now, when we walk <laughs> into the bar, I notice this the next time I'm watching through because I'm glad you brought up Coyote Ugly. You know, they have a certain dress. Even though these girls are supposed to be strippers, did you notice that what they wear look a very much like almost kind of like attire you might wear to like a sacrifice? Yeah, like, a, like a priestess. Yeah. It's nothing that would be normally seen in an actual strip joint, which right. should have been the cue to all of us right away. Yes. But you see tits yeah. and men are like, and that was it. Yeah. We're all for it. That's it. She could be holding two sticks of dynamite. Do you see her tits? It's just completely not attention at all. Brain is bypassed by that point. I think it's Robert Rodriguez that kind of did some research about Inca, you know, lore and, and religions. And I think it was, well, at the end, we see, yeah, you we know, see the, the last yeah, shot. It's is, a, basically a temple. The yeah. temple. So, but apparently in that religion, they had, it's not vampires, but they were lizards, kind of reptilians. <laughs> and, and, and that's yeah. what the vampires are supposed to be. So it, it's all that mixed up. So it, it throws back to, to, to that, um, that culture. Oh, yeah. And you can I, see I it. You can definitely see it in yeah. the dress. And, you know, again, if you start to pay attention to it, if you can get past the fact that there are women's boobs on the screen <laughs> for a second. <laughs> Maybe on a rewatch. This is, feels like almost tongue-in-cheek to bring her up next, but the great Selma Hayek. Yes. Sweet well, okay. fucking so, Jesus. She yeah. is absolutely smoking hot in this film. Well, okay. So this is the yeah. deal. I, I was 20 years old when I saw that movie <laughs> in theaters. And that's why you came to and America. I, yeah, that's it. I was like, what? No. Uh, I, I have had a couple of friends that were a little younger than me, and, and we were just sitting in the theater, and I remember us being, like, transfixed. Like, w- when that scene started... It was like, it's like time froze. Like, this is the coolest. And I mean, that song, Tito and Tarantula, oh, after, so after dark, just that, that guitar mm. lick. And it's just amazing. And just, just the whole thing was like, the movie would just like all of a sudden stand still. And it's like this moment. And it, it just, it's amazing. It is. Yeah. She had a real fear of snakes. I'm sure you've heard this. She had to seek yes. out two months of therapy to be able to handle that giant python that she dances with. Now, the reason that she had to do that is because Robert Rodriguez lied to her and told her that Madonna wanted the role. So yes. Selma 
I uh-huh. was like, I want this role, <laughs> oh, wow. and I'm going to do what I have to do to get the role. It's kind of dirty pool, but at the same time, he knew that she would be great <laughs> in the role, and she he just had to like you know pull a little Jedi mind trick and be like, <laughs> Madonna wants it. And that's it, genius. Oh, it is genius. That's you genius. gotta do what you gotta do to get somebody in the room. Because Madonna, you yeah. know, he, uh, Tarantino talks about Madonna and you know yeah, Reservoir Dogs, Dogs so, yep. th- so they had that connection, and she was she responded to that. So so it was believable I that agree. Madonna could be involved in a project, and you know one of the biggest stars in the world and so so yep. yeah so i guess the uh, sam Hayek was like oh no 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 <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> and her dance wasn't choreographed she actually came up with it on the spot because as she said she told robert that you cannot choreograph something with a snake because a live animal is no. not going to respond you just have to she's basically moved with it and she did an amazing job with it yeah, yeah. it's it's amazing like it is un unfucking believable now the original character's name was Blonde Deaf until Salma was hired. Because originally, I don't think that Quentin Tarantino was even thinking that she would be uh, Latina. So mm-hmm. once she was on, he changed it to Santanico Pandemonium, which is a reference uh-huh. to a movie, a gory Mexican horror movie called Santanico Pandemonium La Sexorcista from 1975 that he happened to see on the video shelves of a video store he worked at. Man, it's something. He's he got really a brain does. For that. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> so, I bet he could, if he was on it, he could tell us exactly what the, the cover looked like. He could probably know verbatim. Oh, yeah. And he could tell you who oh, was in God, it. Yes. And, and, oh, God, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he could. So it's just those cool things that he comes up with. And the name's fantastic. The yeah. Satan Pandemonium. It's not like, I don't know the Spanish translation, but I know it's cool. It's like a sex exorcist. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to say there's a lot of breasts in this in that film. I'm just going to go, there's a lot of breasts. It's a sexploitation film. Yeah, oh yeah. Robert Rodriguez was saying that his only regret with the soundtrack, which we're going to talk about in a minute, I'm sure, is to not have included the speech right before the dance that uh, Danny Trejo uh, yes. makes. He said, man, it would have been perfect. Yeah. He said, my one regret for the soundtrack is not to have included Lowly uh, dogs? <laughs> I love it. Because yeah. I, I love how he says that. Because it makes him sound like he's ancient. You motherfucker. He's like, you lowly dogs. I just love how. Big old Danny Trejo. Oh, he's in that movie. I forgot yeah. how good he looked yeah, in that movie. Like he was yeah. trim and he was, you know, he Mr. good. You want to say it to his face? <laughs> Mr. Trejo, if you listen to this somehow. But, uh, you know. It's... <laughs> I'm a big fan. We're big fans. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, now we you mentioned this, so we're gonna talk about it. Is it me? Uh, but knowing what we know about Quentin Tarantino and his love of feet, do you find it creepy that he wrote a scene where a character sucks a woman's foot and drinks champagne off it, and then played that character in the film? Or is it genius? Which one is it? <laughs> because it's, it's both. It's so self-serving. It really it's and and that was before all the you know. All, all, all the talk about you know him him having that that fetish uh, uh, just started on the internet. It, it was bef- it was yes. pre that. I, I think that's one of the origins of it. And I'm telling you, in that commentary that I, that I, I watched today, uh, Robert Rodriguez makes sure he, kinda, <laughs> he lets him he, know he makes, he makes fun. Yeah, he's like, dude, you, you knew you knew what you were doing. You, you wrote it, and you knew you were gonna play that. That and yeah. Here's the amazing thing about that scene. When you go back and watch it again, now I know they're acting, but. Just the way Selma Hayek is, just the way she moves, the way she looks, everyone's mesmerized by it. Like, mesmerized. Like, she didn't have to practice it because there was no choreography for it. So she just came out and and people were just like, Mm -hmm. you can see it. One thing I love, Juliette Lewis, and again, I try to point out things that people don't normally look at the side characters to get little information and how great acting of a job they do. And Mm -hmm. like, she's just not falling asleep. I've coached basketball, and one of the great scenes in um, the movie Hoosiers is when Dennis Hopper, he, he runs this play called The 
pick a fence and he tells him, now don't get caught watching the paint dry, which is basically says, don't get caught watching the play. Be mm-hmm. a part of the play. And so yeah. Juliet Lewis is uncomfortable with Selma Hayek walking. Like her character, she feels mm-hmm. inadequate. You know what I mean? Like she already feels like a lot of women would when you're in a strip joint yeah. and having, you know, unfortunately uh, in America and I think in the world, but especially in America, body image for women is so yeah. awful. It's just terrible. I feel terrible that women have to go through the shit they go through just to try to get places in life. It's horrible. But the way Juliet Lewis plays it, the way she is almost like jealous, but also kind of discuss it. Just next time you get a chance, watch her reaction. Okay. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, she is just absolutely brilliant. She's not watching the paint dry. You know, she's actually acting. And whether yeah. it's genuine or not, but she yes. knows just how she should feel. It's no, no, fantastic. She's, she's acting. Fantastic. That's, that, that's, that, that's total acting. That's total acting. This, yeah, she's she's amazing. How effective of a weapon is Sex Machine's crotch revolver? <laughs> and is there a more literal name for a character in film? Because it's a sex machine. Like, it is a sex machine. It's not for sex. It's a machine in the shape of a sex part. And you just go, huh, he's got a small dick Gatling gun revolver on him. I wanted him to shoot it. And how do you shoot it? I know. No, but how? I, I, how do, I'm how only do you assuming it? he thrust forward. That, that's You know what <laughs> you think about it? Like you just a little thrust. Kegels, maybe. The male Kegels, you thrust forward <laughs> and you fire it off. Like, I don't know. It's a recoil hit you in the, you know. There's so many questions I have for the weapon. It's a cool looking weapon and it makes it into Robert Rodriguez film uh, Desperado as well because it's in the suitcase. But uh-huh. you just kind of like. Is that even effective? Like, you know. <laughs> and the other thing is, is how about what if it breaks? Like, because it flips open, it flips. Open. Like, what if it catches your nuts? Or you know, like, there's so many dangers. Or it stays open, and you and you have to walk around like that. <laughs> is that a? I mean, is it an instance you get shot by the cops if that's hanging out? You know, what I mean? you walk around with the Dick Gatling gun. <laughs> oh, not, not very practical. But yet. It feels like a weapon that someone in Texas has somewhere. Like, just I feel like there's at least oh, someone. Yeah. There's a white. Yes. There's a white male <laughs> of redneck persuasion yes. in the southern part of our country that has somehow made himself a dick gun. Whether it works or not, we don't know. But I have. I feel very positive. At least one person oh, yeah. has it for sure. Oh yes. <laughs> Oh, uh, now speaking of this, played by the great Tom Savini, which is awesome because he is an amazing makeup artist, but he doesn't do any of the makeup art. He just acts in this film. Oh, he's a makeup artist? Oh, you know that? Oh, he's well known for his makeup artistry, especially for George Romero, like a lot of the zombie, early zombie stuff. Yeah, Tom Savini is well okay. regarded in that industry. I'm glad you brought that your favorite character is Mr. Cliff Booth because he's going to be brought in here in a second. I'm going to show you how. On set. When they were in the melee, the opening melee with the vampires, when we finally realized that, like I said, when this movie turns left fast, after mm-hmm. the Santa Maria, yes. the dance, and like you said, they get in the fight with Cheech Marin, and all of a sudden there's blood because Richie gets stabbed in the hand where he's been mm-hmm. shot. Yep. And all of a sudden we go mm-hmm. from like this, what we think is a crime film, to suddenly a vampire film yes. very, very fast yes. without anyone knowing it. No. And they don't show it in the trailer either. If you watch the trailer, there's never a scene of vampires. It's which awesome. is cool. So it's perfect because when this pivots, yeah. because it's a great pivot too, is we just get it should we're be a surprise. totally yeah. enamored with how sexy she looks and everything that's just happened. And we're just like, what? And then all of a sudden, boom, vampires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't see it coming. But Mr. Tom Savini, <laughs> as he is uh, in this melee, he hit quite a few of the actors to include George Clooney, which makes me think that like maybe a- Robert Rodriguez should have hired Mr. Cliff Booth for a day to... Uh, Sort him out. For those of you who have read the book, know what yeah. I'm talking about. Those of you who have not read the book, you need to read the book to find out what I'm talking about with Mr. Cliff Booth. And mm-hmm. which, 
as we both know, since we've talked about it, that moment in that book is real life. The people were hired. Stuntmen were hired on a day when an actor would hit stuntmen and not care <laughs> to level him on his ass, get paid 800 bucks, get fired after that day, get $800, and make that actor realize, don't pull this shit anymore. We ain't fucking around out here, son. <laughs> we're bringing in the ringer. That's awesome. So, so he, would, he, he would actually hit. Uh, uh, actors. Well, like, he did real. in this scene. I don't know that it was intentional. In the scene, but I'm just, I just, it, when I hear it and he hit Clooney, you go, man, this is this. Like now having, you know, obviously now having the book and Cliff Booth, you go, man, yeah. I wonder, I wonder if even on set they it were is thinking, real. hmm. Quentin's <laughs> heard these stories. I was thinking, hmm. I wonder if maybe they had to call someone in to settle Mr. Savini down a bit. Technically, Savini's maybe not, a, so. you know, he's not well known as an actor. He'll act in the films, and a lot of times he's a guy who gets killed or says something cool. I think he's the cop in. Yeah. Um, he looks like a redneck version of Ponch from Chips. I think he's the cop in the beginning yeah. of Planet Terror when he's saying things are going wrong, like take sunglasses off. I think oh, that's him okay, too. Yeah. So okay. he's technically not your standard everyday actor, right. but still, that's probably why. <laughs> yes, he's, he's yes. Not, he's so he not, may not get the Cliff Booth treatment, of- but. I don't know. He probably only got that one time. <laughs> uh, you you were mentioning the you know when when the movie flips from from like a you know it's like a crime uh, crime caper movie into all of a sudden like a like a gory you yeah know, zombie uh, or, uh, uh, yeah vampire that, horror that, flick. Well, I I, I heard uh, heard Robert Rodriguez mention something one time on a commentary. He said the idea for that and look uh, thinking back on it, Tarantino wrote that. So whether Robert Rodriguez is like rewriting history, I don't know. But Robert Rodriguez said that the shift in style in that movie is it's like an homage to Predator because Predator starts oh, as Predator. a, you know, action, you know. Uh, uh, you think it's going to be a 1980s it's, it's like action war, with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yep. War with, with, with like a war mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, it's like a, a military action movie. And all of a sudden it becomes a slasher and all of a sudden they're mm-hmm. getting hunted by, by this creature. And like the, that, that little flip of style in, of the movie he said that was kind of an homage. It's kind of like that's how they thought about doing uh, From Dust Till Dawn. All of a sudden, you're in a different type of movie. That was kind of like an homage to Predator. So I don't, I don't Makes know. sense because his, uh, his studio, Troublemakers, they produced Predators, which I absolutely fucking right. love. And we covered on our Watch Us or Die podcast. I absolutely fucking love that movie. And he did a great job. So it kind of goes full circle that he was thinking it then. And he ends up putting out, in my opinion, the best sequel to Predator so far. I, I love the original. And then Predators, you watch those two together and you don't need to watch anymore. That's, they're fucking fantastic and seamless, in my opinion. I haven't seen it. Oh, I you ha- oh, haven't seen it. See it. Oh, no. Okay. You will be. I, I, I'm going to text you all. If you don't see it this week, I'm just going to nonstop. And we keep saying you predators. <laughs> You'll love it. Okay. I promise you. Sorry. Because we, we always go on these side tangents. <laughs> if you listeners haven't seen the uh, Predators, I think you'll love it. It's really good. But just to be a fan of Predator. If you're not a fan of Predator, right. please get off my podcast because uh, I love Predator. That's one of my favorite all time action movies. I love Predator. I could like, it's one of those movies I could sit down and watch over and over again and never ever get tired of it. Well, I would like to give a shout out to one of my favorite uh, French-speaking podcasts. It's called VHS et Canapé. It's VHS and Sofa, basically. And they talk about action movies from the 80s. And one of the hosts, his favorite movie of all time is Commando. And in every episode, every episode, it doesn't matter what they're talking about. Always, he finds a way to tie it in with Commando. Always. And he always says it's the best movie of all time. And it's just, it's, it's, it's funny. It's we my make, we make fun of that one a couple of times on our old podcast because you could, I'm just like how you can tell like some people just don't care. And you can actually see the launch ramps in the movie. Like there's so many things that happen in the movie that if you go back and watch, you can actually see the stuff happen. Uh, it's so good. Oh, sorry. We'll get back on this. I'm sorry, folks. Now, is it me 
Or did it seem like there was no rhyme or reason as to how fast or slow once you got bit, you turned into a vampire? Because yes, like, I know. I thought about uh, that. Who is it? Uh, Sex Machine, Richie, and uh, Jacob. Yes. They it, turned from between ten to an hour. Yes. And then Frost. It goes like five he, seconds. Like literally, he gets bit by Savini, throws him in the door, he turns around, and he's a vampire. And you're like, what? How did that happen? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then Harvey Keitel takes like an hour or something. And, and he's even like, I think I got about thirty to forty minutes. I'm thinking, based <laughs> yeah. on what? Like, where was your basis on this? Because we just watched Tom Savini <laughs> take about up. thirty minutes, on. and then this guy turned in two minutes. <laughs> Like I don't how where did you get this from? It just seems so random. And the Vietnam vet, like it takes five seconds. Literally five seconds. And he's bitten and, and he's all like, of you a sudden, shot me bit me. What are you gonna do about it? And he grabs throws it through the door and then all of a sudden he turns around and he's like Rrr! like he's the king of the and, and, and all of a sudden he's directing all the bats. He's telling he's telling them yes. where to go and it's like this. this he's an orchestra, you know, he's like an orchestra the, leader. He's like he's the conductor. Yeah. Oh, this is so ridiculous. Five minutes before he was uh, just a regular uh, person. Literally. When his back is turned <laughs> to us and he throws Tom Savini, sex machine, he's human. The minute Savini hits the yes. door, he turns around, he's suddenly completely changed. I was just like, <laughs> but again, we, again, there is no time frame in this movie. Anyways, we just saw this no. day's taken 72 hours to get from the bank robbery to dark. And by the time dark to dawn, it's four minutes. He's just like, all right. Yeah. Here we are. We've made it. We've made it. <laughs> <laughs> My funny thing about that, though, is, too, if you thought QT had a fucked up shape head, it only got fucking worse when they turned him into a fucking vampire. He had, like, a 12 head. It yeah. was fucking huge, that makeup they put on him. <laughs> he looked more like Frankenstein than he did a vampire. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I give him, cre- him credit like for putting it on. Yeah, he did. He looked like Lurch. He looked like a rabid Lurch. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> a raping Lurch is what he looked like. <laughs> Almost like the thing, the hand was something he would send off and molest you with. That's what he reminds. It's a very creepy Adams family. <laughs> oh, that's a, that sounds like a good right. Movie. <laughs> and again, I love QT. I just. But look, he's, he's, well, he's, he's, an, inter- he's an interesting looking guy. I mean, congratulations to him. Yeah. Like, hey, he may not have been the most handsome man in school. He may have been a geek and he has a weird voice. But the man has made millions and millions of dollars. He's made some of the greatest movies to ever come out. He's, in my opinion, yeah. he's the greatest living and maybe director ever. And he now has a beautiful wife and two kids. So who am I to talk? I'm involved and in a basement. <laughs> who the fuck am I to talk? I'm nothing special. <laughs> Talking exactly. about him. I know, exactly. Talking about him. But at the same time, <laughs> I have eyes and I'm not blind. And he put this on film forever. So I'm just saying, you know, I mean, hell, fuck it. He just, he just looked really fucking creepy as a pedophile. He was really on the nose. And then it only got worse when he turned into a vampire. Like everyone else kind of had a cool look. And you're like, he's, it's very off putting. Like, what the fuck? Well, that's credit to him for, you know, not taking himself seriously to, to be. Oh, able I to agree. Do that. I agree. I understand. But you, it definitely throws you for a loop. You're like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> And at some point, for, for like five seconds, he's got like a yes, different face. Yes, that's when face um, with Seth is looking and... at him. So Seth still sees him as his brother. That's the thing. So they jump yeah. back when they kill. Yeah. yeah. So it, it goes to your point. It goes to your point. It's not a mistake. So if anyone yep. sees him, goes, well, he look. He looks better when he, he looks in, in Seth's version. He looks better, but in the real, he's yeah, a he's cooler. much cooler. Not so good in the other <laughs> one. <laughs> 
And apparently Tarantino was saying uh, in Japan, the movie poster was him, like the biggest uh, face on the poster was him with that face on, with, with, the, uh, with the contacts. And everybody else was like smaller. And it seems like he would, his vampire was like the biggest thing in the movie. I, well, it, it, hey, it so, you know, so, at that time, Pulp Fiction came out. So he had been on the box of fucking Wheaties if they could have put him on, if he could have got on it. Well, yeah, but that, that, that's how the Rodriguez and him were able to make the movie for, for the amount of money that they needed to make it to realize yeah. that their vision because of Pulp Fiction. Uh, otherwise, before that, they, you know, I don't think they would have gotten the budget. I think also the fact that even Rodriguez was, I mean, he hadn't made the jump like Tarantino had, but I think his movies, Desperado, come out and had been very successful. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they knew yeah. it was coming. And I said it, you know, we won't talk about the Miramax people, but Miramax as a company in the 90s started everything. So all you A24 lovers, you don't have A24 without Miramax. It was the original Look. independent movie production place yes. that actually helped produce the movies. Yeah, well, we're about the same age. This this was, for me, it was like a golden era I think cinema. it is. Like yeah. in, in, what, in two years, we saw Pulp Fiction, Desperado, From Dust Till Dawn, and the movies and at, at the theater. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. In two years. We, we saw those three movies in, in the space of two years. And then a couple of years later, like the Coen brothers, like Big Lebowski and Old Oh, the 90s and have, David, uh, the 90s are amazing. Lynch. They're and, amazing. And, and, you know, it's... it's yeah. No, I, I agree. In the movies, you, I like today's movies, but they're just, there's it's missing. It's missing. The, it's just missing the edge yeah. and the darkness of those movies. It really it's missing. And I sound like an old man now. Like, Goddamn kids yes. get off the I, lawn. Yeah. But, you but don't I'm just understand. telling you, <laughs> these hero movies I like. I'm a comic book fan. But go back and look at some of these other movies, and, and you'll know. And just just in, in the space of four or five years, the wealth of oh, movies. Oh my god! If I would, yeah, Heat Seven. Um, the usual suspects, like there's, I mean, could, I could sit here and yeah, name a thousand movies. A Fargo, you could keep going through from Lost from Highway. ninety to ninety nine. You could just name the, the movies that came out are just unreal. It's insane. Yeah, some of the greatest ever. Twelve Monkeys, you know. I, I agree with you, hundred percent. We could rattle those those titles. We know. could start a nineties podcast. <laughs> we would never run out of. Hey, we should. let's do it. <laughs> I got some All ideas. Right. I'll tell you off mic. <laughs> Which weapon are you choosing, Seth's jackhammer steak? Kate's pump action crossbow, Scott's super soaker and condom grenades, or Jacob's baseball bat <laughs> shotgun cross hybrid? Well, how many shells in the shot are in the shotgun and how many arrows do we have? Uh, which it looked like she could do up to about 12 arrows. It looked like there was like six on a side, of eight, somewhere between 12 and 16 to look like. I didn't count them, but. But then you're done. True. And then the shotgun, but so you know, I guess I, the cross, I mean, you can put it against them. Yeah. One of them had the autumn, uh, like, like bullets. When, yeah, and they, so she, they, cro- they she made the cross on the arrows. But when they come out, that's the four weapons they're all armed yeah, with. There's I a right know. answer here, and, and I'm going to give it to you in a minute. And then we're going to talk about the person who wielded it and why they sucked at it. <laughs> I'd say George Clooney. George Clooney's is a cool one. But the I think the right answer is Scott Super Soaker. It's got holy water in it. Water spreads pretty yes, easily. Uh-huh. This motherfucker right, hardly killed right. anybody. He could have killed 60% of the vampires if he just comes out a spraying. He doesn't even have to throw the condoms of water. Yeah, yeah, he that's true. is the he was the wrong guy to have it. <laughs> he was awful. He is useless, and which is why I was glad I even put this in my nose. I was glad he died. Now that I've watched it a couple times, I know he has my name, but I'm glad he died because he was useless. He came out with the best weapon. The super soaker, <laughs> you can I mean, all you gotta do is pump that thing and just keep spraying. You go left to right and you're getting all of the vampires. That's and he true. fucked it That's up. True. And so he died the way he deserved to die. Well, is it killing them? Because uh, some of them, it's like half Well, their you know what it does is, is it sets them on the... fire. So, I mean, even if you get them in the head, you know what I mean? Like, okay. you're burning them. They're staying away from you. Yeah. So... Well, then, yeah. You're making it easier, for sure. And he's just fucking it up. Fucking it up the whole way. <laughs> the whole way. He deserved to goddamn die. 
<laughs> so, anyways, well, I'm going to ask you this question in a second. But my favorite line is at the end of the movie when it's all said. The scene I talked about where they set it on fire, where Cheech's new character asks him, you know, what were they, psychos? <laughs> I love says like, psychos <laughs> don't explode when sunlight hits them. I don't care how fucking crazy they are. I just love that return. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Yeah, just just casual. You know, Ramon. Yeah, he's like, what were they, psychos? <laughs> What? He's like, do they he's look like, like psychos? Is this a bad place? Or? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? Is that a bad place or what? I don't know. I never stopped here. I just passed, so I just passed by a few times. What? Uh, what were you busting my I don't care how here? fucking crazy they are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we wrap this up. So, what happens to Kate and Seth following this chaotic ordeal? Now, Kate gets, I think, about 40 to 50 grand to get back into her father's RV. It's just her, which is the turning point of Seth because. I don't want to say she's throwing herself at him by any means. I don't want to, you know, delegitimize her as a character and make it be like... She definitely has... They've survived a tough moment together, a very traumatic moment. They've both lost. So there's going to be some kindredship there because of that. And I think she's attracted to him. I mean, George Clooney in the 90s is an attractive man. That's not, not, you know, mince words here. He's the opposite of what Tarantino looked like in the 90s. Even now. He's a very attractive man. (laughs) All right? The man is aged like fine wine. And I hope to someday do the same. But that being said, so... (laughs) The fact that he knows that where he's going, she shouldn't go, even if he is attracted to her. Yeah. He makes, even if it's a small turn for him, he makes that character arc by saying, yes. here's some money, go home, Kayla. But what do we think uh, happens yes. to both of them? I think she has a probably better future than him, but what do you think happens? Okay, well, I have that, I have that in my notes. That's, it's actually, it's, it's funny, you should, should bring it up. I find it's like you find finally see the humanity in, in, in Seth Seth at the end because he could have totally taken hundred percent. She at this point she would have done almost she, anything she, he wanted, and it's and he wouldn't have had to force yeah, it. Like he she, she could have very him. easily just manipulated her, almost Stockholm syndrome her into doing what. Yes, and she tells him, "Do you need yes. company?" That's like she, that's I mean, yeah. like you know, yeah. She's sending signals. She still wants to have the bat signal to let us know that look, yes. I will be your lady <laughs> company. Yeah, and he knows where he's going, and and he knows it's not a good place for her. So he's so that's why he gives him money and say, look, you know, no. And he's not even sure he's a good place for him. You know, what I mean, overall, at the end of the day, no. Well, that's what Tarantino was saying. Uh, it, it's it, he based that place on the end of the book, which I haven't read, but I I need to I need to get a copy. The Getaway, which which the the movie of the same name uh, is is based on, and apparently the last chapter is El Rey. That's and it's the place where people who have robbed banks in the United States they go to Mexico, and you know it's apparently it like I don't know if it. Probably not a real place, but in that book, it's a real place. And that's what that's what Tarantino. That's a reference to the getaway, and apparently it's a horrible place because uh, if you're from the United States and and you like you rob the bank or whatever, so you go down there, and apparently it's it's a horrible place because you spend the money that you made well your heist or whatever your bank robbery, and then when you run out of money, you have no more options because you can't go back to the United States, so you have to stay down there. And try to exist in that in that world of you know hustlers and and, and you now know, with the drug cartels being and, rampant down there, it can't it can't be easy. No, so so that's why he's telling her no. You, you don't it's safe to, to say there. with his temper, even though he's had a bit of a human moment, he doesn't last two years. In my opinion, he dies within two years just because yeah. of his you know he's going to get himself into a fight one that he can't get out of, and now that he doesn't have Richie to back him up, I think Kate does okay. I think Kate comes back and does okay. I think maybe Kate comes back and goes into the priest. Or whatever, you know, becomes a one herself because you know she seemed yep. to be, you know, and she's seen some things at, at, <laughs> she's, at the beginning. She has seen some shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
And at the beginning, she tells him, well, why, why can't you, why can you say that? How can you say that, dad? Blah, blah. Like she's, she's really, really in, into that mode of, you know, religion. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, I could totally see that. Let's ask our guest some fucking questions. We've mentioned the soundtrack, which every soundtrack to every Tarantino film, whether he, it's just crazy, whether he directed or didn't, they always seem to be just amazing. What's your favorite song from this soundtrack? Yeah. Well, you sent me the questions ahead of time. And by far, this is the hardest question for me. Because pound for pound, that soundtrack is probably my favorite Tarantino connected uh, soundtrack. When I first bought it, and still now, like it's been like, what, 25, 30 years almost? Eh, 25 years. I can listen to that whole soundtrack until, you know, the the last three, four tracks, which is like, you know, the the orchestral, you know, music that's in the, you know, at the end, like we kill the band or whatever. But all the songs in that order it doesn't get better it doesn't get better than that for me you know like it's got like uh uh, it's got zz top which is my favorite band it's got stevie ray vaughn it's got jimmy vaughn which is one of my favorite artists the mavericks tito and tarantula we talked about that i had the chance of seeing them live uh in in 2000 or 2001 in the south of france so it's almost impossible impossible for me to answer that question the answer might change day to day and if i had to pick one i would say dark night by the blast the opening song i love it ah yes Who's your favorite character from this film? And there's not many, so normally I ask, it's like there's like 96 people you get to pick from. In this film, we have a very small uh, right. selection. And please tell me it's right. vampire number four. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Five, actually. <laughs> no, it's Seth. I find it's really, like I was saying earlier, a great performance Phenomenal. by George Clooney. Yes. I love his outfit. Yes. Can we talk about his outfit? Yeah, absolutely. He can pull off, you know, a, yeah. a sack of potatoes, I'm sure. But he's one of the only guys that I've ever seen that could make yes. the tribal tattoo yes. look cool. Yeah. Still, and he, and it was his idea. <laughs> Yeah, the tattoo is, is his oh, idea. It, was it? Mm-hmm. And we, yep. we see we only see his neck for the whole movie. At the and end, when he takes off I the coat. Yep. Last scene. Yep. Yes, you see the whole, and it's it's just so cool. I mean, don't get me wrong; he's he's a horrible person. There are very obviously. few great we, we, we people talked about of that. moral standards in Tarantino films, but that's what makes them great because they're very realistic. <laughs> they're not; it's they're they're very gray. They're not white or black. It's it's a very gray ground. Right, you could you right. could see each side of where why they are who they are. You sometimes you go, oh, I could definitely see myself doing. Sometimes you're like, oh no, I could never do anything like that. Right. Well, yeah, like we were talking about on the phone, uh, uh, Rick Dalton, when, when he's in his robe with his picture of Margarita, and he's, he's fussing. <laughs> Get that mechanical ass off my hippies. ass. It's okay. <laughs> I, could, I could see myself doing that on a bad night. But anyway, so, you know, he's horrible. Like, he's talking to Harvey Keitel in the RV, and then Harvey Keitel just lost his wife, and he's just flipping about it. Like, yeah, well, you know, it's a, you know, sucks, bummer. Like, he's, he doesn't care. Like, he's, he's a horrible person. But like we were talking about, at the end, he's got... You know, he's got that little ray of sunshine when he when he tells Juliet Lewis, like, look, no, this is not a place you need to be in. And, and he could have taken. And I'm not a man you need to be right. with. And that's that's like a little, you know, a little sliver of, of, of hope and, and for him. And I, I just and he kept his promise because he did say, if you get through the night without you guys trying anything, I'll let you go. And he did. He yes. let her go. And he gave her True. money. So. True. Good luck spending it, but anyways, because it's and stolen. But good luck. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, what if he set her up to get arrested <laughs> back in America? She's someone takes the fall for it. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm, I'm no, pretty I sure they would, they would know she, she, yeah. she was a hostage. He proved in that movie we were talking about earlier that he he had what it 
takes to be a movie star, like a big time movie star. And Agreed. His charisma on screen is just unbelievable. Like I said earlier, just I like his little twitches, like his little, like when <laughs> when something starts to aggravate him, he's just he's he's makes he makes him like a little little face. He starts to to blink, like just a little blink. He's got like a nervous yep. blink. I don't know if you noticed that. Yep. Like when he's when something starts to you know kind of go sideways, he's. He blanks like, oh boy, there we go. <laughs> and I, I just love those little acting choices. And yeah, he's, he's my favorite. And he's just so cool, you know. What was your favorite line and or monologue from the film? Well, I think I, I picked Chet's speech, uh, a, a, a.k.a. The, the P word. Uh, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. the sidewalk sale. <laughs> <That's the tattoo laughs> yeah, I mean, and like, like we were saying earlier, like it could be really good or mm, kind of weird. In any actor's mouth you can think of, but Cheech Marin, for some reason, kills it. It's gold. It's gold. Kills it. He yeah, he just really he really leans into it. He <laughs> yes. leans into it. And Robert Rodriguez is genius to let him lean into it and let him break the fourth wall with the with what would be normal the tr- like a really extreme low angle with the trunk shot of him looking down at us. It's mm-hmm. it was great. Yeah, you're right. What was your favorite scene from the film? Well, like I was saying earlier, opening titles. They they write in in the car, the music, the desert. You know, that's right up my alley. Like when I saw, I was 20 years old. I saw that and I was like, this is, this is just the coolest thing. I could watch that opening titles sequence on repeat. I could just watch it on a loop, just the, the blasters music, you know, they're writing in the, but which by the way, he just escaped from jail. Yep. They killed a bunch of people, including cops. <laughs> yep. And, and a daylight bank robbery. Right. They're, it's in the nineties and they're driving in the 1968 Mercury Cougar. Yep. Do you think that's uh, in real life? That would be a good choice. Let's be real. <laughs> and they've got a woman in the trunk. Right. But the cops would say, okay, we're looking for a car. It's a 1968 Mercury Cougar. It, there's only one 1968 <laughs> Mercury Cougar going down that road. You know, that's yeah. like the way you should, you should get like a, a, I don't know, like a, like a Honda Civic or something, you know, it, it be conspicuous. But anyway, it's just the, 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 the coolest sequence, the, the opening shot with the, even when, when you see his hand and you can see uh, through his hand and they, they're passing the bottle of uh, Jack Daniels. And it's, it's just the coolest scene. I'll, I'll, it's the opening touch. And, I would say second is the the opening sequence, the ten minute op- opening sequence with the with the cop, which is the great twist in the opening scene because it's like you know the cop walks in and they know each other with the clerk and then you know he gets a beer and they're talking about this and that and he goes to the restroom and all of a sudden bang you realize this whole time they had two guys with guns you know and it's it's just great like it just starts the movie with a bang it's it, tarantino's famous for that like it's his opening opening scenes are, are usually like something that just grabs you and you say okay i want to see what happens And that's a wrap on our fifth episode. I would once again like to thank my special guest, Pat Fournier, host of the B News USA podcast, for joining me today. I had a fucking blast discussing our love of QT and Rodriguez, as well as taking a comical deep dive of Tarantino's first foray into the horror genre with From Dust Till Dawn. Now, you can find the link to past podcasts in the show notes. And as always, you can become a member of the Church of Tarantino by following us on all our socials. Those links can also be found in the show notes as well. Now, be sure to join me again in two weeks as Ian Harry's one half of the duo that is the podcast that nobody asked for joins me once again this time to dissect and discuss the convenience store shootout scene in from dusk till dawn until then i'm the reverend scott k may tarantino be with you always
This has been a man with an exceptional beard production.